Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. Have you heard, Tim, there is a brand new Star Wars movie coming out as of this recording tomorrow. I'm going to see it. It's wow. amazing. After all these years, Star Wars is back. George Lucas himself is returning really? to the saga, yes. And, I mean, based on the on the previews, it's really cool. There's, like, this devil-looking dude, and he's got, like, this double-sided lightsaber. And, like, you know, it looks like, you know, Obi-Wan's going to be Anakin for the first time. It's like, holy crap. I, and, you know, there's this guy, like, uh, Liam Neeson. His name is, like, Kui Gon Jin. I don't know, something like that. I wonder what he's all about. Should be really cool. You know, yeah, Phantom Menace coming out tomorrow. Nice. I'm sure it's not going to suck. And I think that guy, Jar Jar, he's probably going to – I think he's going to steal the show. Yeah. I think it's going to be, like – you know, How he's, can he not? He's going to be the fan favorite coming out of this movie, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, that was a conversation that probably happened in 1999. <laughs> um, but, no, we find ourselves on the precipice of yet another Star Wars movie coming out. I mean, we've had... This will be the third in the last three years because uh, Episode Eight: The Last Jedi is coming out tomorrow. Are you excited, Tim, at all? Um... I mean, I'll, I'm going to go see it at some point. So I was a, excited. a resounding endorsement. I was excited when The Force Awakens came out, and it was really good, and Rogue One was really good. This is, I don't know, I'll assume it's going to be really good, but I, I mean, as it gets to be an annual thing, it's less and less exciting. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm feeling really excited about this one. I mean, like, because it is... For me, the big thing is, you know, we're continuing the story of Luke Skywalker. That's what I'm, like, really excited about seeing. Because, you know, we got him a little bit in Force Awakens, but, you know, this is going to be, in a lot of ways, his movie. And, uh, I mean, this that's like, you know, we've been waiting since, essentially, 1983 yeah. to see what Luke Skywalker's up to. So that's, you know, that's a big deal. I, uh, I'm pretty excited about uh, the new Woody Allen movies coming out this weekend. I'm going <laughs> to go see that. It's always Star Wars versus Woody Allen with you. I notice. <laughs> we always go uh, back to this discussion. Well, no, I mean, it just works out that way because 1977, Star Wars and Annie Hall were both up for Best Picture. And uh, the right film won. Well, so you say. Yeah. Also, The Great Silence is playing at Proctor, so I'm uh, pretty excited about going to see a 50-year-old <laughs> Italian Western in theater. It is a good movie. Yeah. But, so it's, it's a big weekend for both of us. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we are here to talk about uh, The Phantom Menace because uh, we're kind of getting close to the 20th anniversary with this movie. And this was this movie really marked the return of Star Wars back from what essentially was, uh, I mean... I mean, you know, when, when Return of the Jedi came out in 1983, Star Wars was, for all intents and purposes, over. You know, there were a couple little the side Ewoks projects that days. he did. He, yeah, he went and he made the uh, the two Ewok TV specials. He made an Ewoks cartoon show and a cartoon show about R2 and C-3PO. But, um, you know, once those things died out, I mean, from 1986 to 1994 is generally referred to as the Dark Times for Star Wars fans because there really wasn't anything coming out. It was just like, it's about a decade of, uh, of, of not really anything. 94? Yeah. There were, in 1991 is when books started getting published again. Um, there was the Heir to the Empire trilogy by Timothy Zahn that came out, which kind of like 
was the thing that it sold really well and was received really well and was part of the reason why George Lucas was like, oh, well, maybe there is some life left in this. You know, there are fans still hungry for more. What were the Star Wars books? Um, I think there it was like six of them that were like, they were sequels to the original trilogy. Those are the ones that I read as a child. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember who wrote them. One one of them had to do with Zorba the Hutt. Yeah, you're talking about the... Uh, the, the... <laughs> Yeah, the Glove of Darth Vader yes. series. Yeah, I like those. Yeah, those are kind I of revisit those are those kind of weird. I re- I had all those as a kid too, and I read those. Um, they were cool because they had, you know, really cool illustrations in them of all these different characters. And it fills and in what happened between uh, Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. If you so choose for that to be your <laughs> headcanon, then yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what happened in those books. So, um, I, I remember um, Han and Leia had some sort of engagement party. <laughs> at some point <laughs> yeah it sounds about right oh. for, for those books um but anyway yeah so episode one we're coming at this movie from two completely different sides here where i've seen this movie probably about 20 times since 1999 maybe even more i don't i don't even know and uh you just watched this movie for the first time uh like a couple days ago yeah i've, I've been living with this movie for three days how's it treating you so far um, I'm still a little confused, and uh, hopefully this will, <laughs> this show will clear it up a little bit. <laughs> uh, well, all I right. mean, even just watching the movie with you that first time, I, you know, I'm very against just like, you know, stopping a movie and asking questions and stuff, but I had to. Like, I feel like if I'd seen it in theaters, I would have been like, wait, what? Like several times. So we're going to watch the movie again. Um, I've got it queued up on the Blu-ray here. We are actually at uh, the Chestnut House on drawing night with a bunch of friends. We got Nate here and Joel and Panda and John and uh, Amber. So uh, we're getting hunkered down here. And Mountain. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I've got it queued up on the uh, on the Blu-ray menu. So I'm gonna hit I'll, I'm gonna hit play. And uh, so if you're if you so desire, you can cue it up if you're listening to this and it's like, yeah, you know, I could listen to a, uh... this is going to be a loose commentary. We're not going to like, you know, you know, go too specific on what we're seeing, but, uh, you know, well, I'm sure there'll be things that we're going to point out and talk about. So, all right, I'm going to press play or yeah, press play on the, uh, on the menu in three, two, one. All right. Just hit play. Okay. We go through a couple logos first, right? Or does it go right in? Yeah, I think it goes through some uh, 20th Century Fox logos and stuff like that. Which now uh, looks like 20th Century Fox is going to be a Disney company. (laughs) That's We're all going to end up owned by Disney eventually. Yeah. I sold my soul to Disney years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so when this movie was first coming out, I mean... The, the, the lead up to this movie was pretty crazy. I mean, I don't think that there was a movie more anticipated than this uh, ever. Even uh, not, not not just at the time, but like even since then, I think like people were uh, just going absolutely out of their minds. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing something Star Wars for like a year. I was getting sick of it and I never even went to see it. It was just being shoved down my throat every day. 
I remember like fast food commercials saying like be like Anakin or something. It's like why would you want to be like Anakin? He it's a very tragic character. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, and that's um to say this movie is uh, divisive is a bit of an understatement. Um this movie has been uh pretty much every criticism you could levy against the movie has been uh levied against this. But uh, and I think that's one of the one of the the obstacles that this movie kind of had to deal with was the, this idea that like okay the main character is going to be Darth Vader before he becomes Darth Vader and we're gonna cast him as this tiny little you know cherub faced uh, you know nine year old kid and uh, and like you said I mean like for people going into this movie who were Star Wars fans like we all know that he's gonna become Darth Vader. So to ask the audience to go along and be like, just you know, just accept him as like you know as the hero, and like you said, you know, advertisers, you know, saying like, come on, kids, you want to be like Anakin and hop in your pod race. And Knowing that it's like, well, I mean, you want to be like Anakin until a certain point when when you don't want to be like Anakin. Well, I guess. I mean, this movie—it's a very sad movie watching him be an innocent child having fun because you know what happens to him. Yeah. So I mean, how do you feel about it? I mean, I want to. All right. So. The trade routes. Okay, yeah. All right, so what was it? It was, all right. Um, <laughs> like, what is the taxation system? Like, what was it before this issue? And what did they change it to that was upsetting everybody? Well, Tim, this is another one of the major <laughs> problems with this movie. Is uh, Because this is something I'm interested in that I think more of the movie should have been focused on that issue. Like because the issue of trade routes and taxation. But you don't just throw <laughs> it out there and be like, oh, there's something going on with trade routes. It's like, well, what? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, like, that this whole part, I mean, when we were watching it on Sunday, we got about, well, it was about 20 minutes into the movie, and you were like, can you just, like, stop this? Because, and, because like, you're like, okay, what the hell is going on here? And there is a lot of information that they throw at you, and it's all done in this dialogue that, I mean, the the, the Moyans, who are the, 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 the aliens who run the trade routes, they talk like this. And so sometimes it is hard to hear the, what, what they Yeah, hey. see, I don't know if you should be doing that. <laughs> Why? I'm just imitating a character that is okay. used in a movie. All right. It's just it's <laughs> slightly offensive. Not you imitating them, but them that... I don't know. There's a lot of weird racial stuff going on in this. So you fall into the camp of... Uh, uh, you feel like the, those the, the Nemoidians are racially motivated. Because it's been... Those are the Asian aliens? Yeah. <laughs> they're, then they're, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now because it's a thing that like has been thrown at it i mean there are characters like uh you know jar jar and these uh the, the trade federation yeah uh, like um and wado have all been sort of criticized as being uh ethnic caricatures yeah, like jar jar binks i mean that's basically like if this, if this movie was in the 30s his name would have been like what like sleep and eat or snowball or something like or just blackie i don't know <laughs> But I mean, what about Jar Jar is like black, is a black character. Like, you want me to define the stereotype? I mean, well, like, what is it? What are the what are the things that Jar Jar is actually doing? Just on a side note, when we were first watching this, I thought that this was C three PO that we're seeing on the screen right now, uh-huh. and that it was like, oh, this is a comment on like all the gay jokes about C three PO over the decades. They're like, oh, well, originally he was a woman. So you thought C-3PO was transgendered. But then it turns out later, oh, that's just a different robot, and C-3PO was just built by Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And I think, like, that's something that's also kind of weird, is, like, if you're going to have 
this whole idea that like Anakin built C-3PO, like it is kind of strange to right at the beginning of the movie show this other droid that looks exactly like C-3PO. Yeah, because then it's like, well, all right, so this is supposed to be episode one. This is the beginning of everything. But, like, well, what's the beginning of that, then, if that are, if the C-3PO line of robots or whatever already existed? And then I honestly, after watching this, I want to know the history of Palpatine. Yeah. Because we're seeing him right here. Mm-hmm. Although you told me we're not supposed to know that's him. Well, I mean, the, mo- <laughs> the movie is designed in a way that, like, if you were, like, say, like, a five- or six-year-old seven-year-old kid who's never seen a star wars movie before and this is your very first star wars movie the movie is designed to exist in a way that like you don't know that senator palpatine is darth sidious that they're not one in the same the girl that just got blown up was very attractive i thought for the longest time that it was like a 12 year old boy that was the captain of that ship. Well, <laughs> and I always thought it was an interesting. Strokes, I always thought it was an interesting detail that it was like, like oh, for some reason, like what's the story with this like uh, you know ship and this captain who's like a twelve year old boy? It's kind of weird. Um, but yeah, so the movie is is designed in a way that like for a kid who's never maybe this is for first Star Wars movie, you don't know that Anakin is going to become Darth Vader. You don't know that Palpatine is going to be revealed to be the you know the Sith master behind everything. That he is in fact the Phantom Menace question there are we just saw an example of like an effective moment in this the lightsabers coming out of the mist there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um there's some of those sprinkled throughout i think there's a lot like of i think there's a lot of uh i mean visually i think there's a lot of very effective moments i mean i mean just i like a lot of what's going on just in pretty much every scene just the way that it looks i think is really really cool i think it would be interesting to know what they would have done with like Maybe a little less CG and more like, I don't know, like animatronic or puppet characters. Like, because we, the droids or whatever they're fighting, those are droids, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like Roger Rabbit. It's like, here's cartoon robots coming at you. Like, it doesn't really seem like. I mean, a lot of those droids are actually, uh, in close ups and stuff, are actually real puppets. In close ups? Yeah. But not. I mean, not when they're like running down the hall, obviously. I mean, I don't. I honestly don't think that the that. What the, about those things? Whatever the hell they are. What are those things? They're the destroyer droids, or okay, droid decas, as they call them. In the... See, they, they they actually they look fine there, but the rolling down the hall was. I mean, this movie. Okay, so the CG thing is something that is often criticized about this movie, and I'm you know, and I'm coming from this at a perspective of like I've seen this movie so many times over the years, and I've gone through. I'm sort of like a hot, cold relationship with this movie where it's like, I saw it when, when, I mean, I was 13 years old when this came out and I was already a huge Star Wars fan. I saw this movie like seven times in the theater and I just loved it every time. And it was like, I mean, I'm sitting here in uh, in Nate's house, sitting with, with Nate here. I mean, we were like obsessed with this movie, essentially. Yeah. I mean, we were, I remember, I remember sitting up in uh, <laughs> in Nate's bedroom, like, you know, singing the you know the weird owl version of uh the saga begins song like we, we were just like totally in invested in it. we'd go outside and have lightsaber battles you know based on the you know the the end darth maul battle and stuff i mean so hugely uh i mean i i loved it and then as you you know grow up you get in a home video you watch it more and a lot of the uh the cracks start to show <laughs> and you start to be like, you know, oh, you know, some of this dialogue is like really kind of awkward. 
and like, ooh, they, yeah, that the line delivery there is like not very good. And why did they do that? And this, and the CG was a big thing where it was like, why did they, you know, have all of this CG stuff? Why doesn't it look like the original trilogy? Which a lot of the effects in the original trilogy hold up very well. They do, yeah. And I'm here to say now that like I think that like for its time, for 1999, like I think the effects in this movie do hold up well when you compare it to other films of that era. Um, like um, Dragonheart. Or like let's or like let's <laughs> say like even um, seen that movie Lost in Space. Yeah, like Lost in Space or like The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Like See, I haven't seen any of these movies that I think we're like naming, the... but I'm just remembering oh this came out around that time. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's easy to kind of, like, forget that this was one of the very first movies that actually had, that that had characters who were fully CGI interacting with other characters. Like, and not just sort of, like, you know, big aliens that they're fighting or whatever, but, like, actual characters who are walking and talking and just existing in the world. Like Jar Jar Binks. Like Jar Jar Binks and like Watto, like Sabalba and like all those all those characters. I don't know who those people are. <laughs> Watto and Sepulveda? Watto is the junk dealer who's uh, who's Anakin's slave owner. Oh, okay. And then they're the lovable slave owner. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, Sabalba is the uh, the rival pod racer. Oh, okay. You know, the little guy who walks on his hands. Right? Yeah. All right. Um. I, the pod race was the thing that I was like, everybody was like, oh, well, the pod race at least is amazing. And then I was kind of like, oh, okay. it's." You it, weren't you weren't as uh, impressed with it. It didn't help that they had the fucking, it, it turned out to be Greg Proops, I guess. Mm-hmm. I was like, <laughs> like I, I'm an announcer and I'm doing, like, it, what? Like, it's taking, it's kind of like having Jar Jar Binks say, excuse me, and how rude. Like, really, you're going to quote fucking Full House to me in a Star Wars movie? Like, what is no, this? No, like? no, 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 no. That harkens back to the original trilogy, because that was C-3PO's line back in the back in the OT. He didn't say it like that, though. He said, how rude. Wait, the OT? Yeah, you got the OT, the original trilogy. The original, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> um. The <laughs> OG OT. <laughs> it's the OG OT, baby. But did C-3PO go, how rude? Yeah, but... Jar Jar doesn't talk like C-3PO. No, he Jar talks, talks like, like Stephanie Tanner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so here's Jar Jar. Here is Jar Jar. Here's the introduction. Who, it, it... <laughs> and yeah, like, there are certain shots where, like, the CGI does look a bit janky. But again, like, this is, you know, this is the first time that this was really, like, happening. I mean, before this, there was stuff like James Cameron had made uh, The Abyss, which had this sort of, like, amorphous blob that sort of created uh, a face in, yeah. in it and then he went on to do uh terminator 2 which had the uh you know like the liquid the metal liquid metal character who was walking and stuff um and then the, then there obviously there were big successes like jurassic park which was according to george lucas the thing that when when steven spielberg made jurassic park he looked at that and said like oh like the technology is like here you can create these things these dinosaurs can come to life in you know computer animation um, and so he was, that was one of the things that kicked him back into wanting to pursue Star Wars again. Um, so, I mean, like, this is a huge stepping stone towards getting to the point where, t- I mean, today, I mean, CGI characters, for the most part, look really well. I mean, like, you know, the, the, and it's, uh, you don't get to some of the, 
you know, the, the, the greater uses of it without first getting... You don't get to, like, Golem without going through Jar Jar. You know? Which was only two years later. It was only two years later. But, I mean, ILM and Lucasfilm built so much of the technology to be able to actually create characters like this on screen. To be able to, like, you know... Because uh, in this scene here, we've got, uh, you know, uh, Liam Neeson and Ian McGregor talking to Jar Jar. On, on location, when they were shooting this, you had Ahmed Best... Uh, dressed in what was essentially like a tracking suit um, with a uh, fake uh, Jar Jar head on his head. He was sort of like wearing stilts. Um, and they built a lot of the technology that allowed them to be able to map the digital character on top of him. Hey, and uh, Luke just showed up. That's me. He's the lead singer of your band. And yes, and, and Alicia is here as well. She's the fiddler of your band. <laughs> Fiddler. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like you know, say what you will about Jar Jar, and like I agree, there's a lot of like you know. I thought you'd be further along. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Luke. You have no, to watch more. Um, but you know, he was uh, he was a a stepping stone to getting to a lot of the technological development that would come later. And I think what's impressive about this movie is that they didn't just sort of say like, okay, well we got to make Jar Jar. We, we got to, you know, just focus on one character and just make that work. I mean, it was like, they went all in on making like so many characters work and not just that. I mean like, you know, an entire, entirely done CG, you know, Gungans versus droid battle, which is an entirely CGI sequence. Essentially. It was enlightening when you pointed out that, all right. So there's a lot of words in this movie that I don't know because they're not, Real, not words. real human words, yeah. Um, and you know, watching it for the first time, everybody's just throwing them out there with no explanation. I wasn't watching it with subtitles or anything. So, like, after it was over, you explained, like, oh, they're called like Gungans. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, so it's like Jar Jar Binks is basically like the Gunga Din character. I'm assuming it was like from that, because I know Gunga Din was a big um, influence on like the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, I mean, especially it, Temple of Doom. Yeah, it's no secret that I mean George Lucas is a, is a huge admirer and lover of classic films, and which shows up, in, uh, you know, in this movie. I mean, Ben Hur is obviously a huge influence when you know the Pod Race is essentially the chariot race from Ben Hur. Um, but we yeah, still need to watch that. So the, we yeah. haven't seen any of those the, th the now three versions of that. Yeah, and I've never <laughs> seen Gunga Din, so I can't yeah. really comment on. Well, it has any similarities. Uh, Sam Jaffe in brownface playing uh, an Indian water boy, basically, for some Jar Jar Binks? Uh, white soldiers. Yes. <laughs> and uh, But he helps them, and he's, uh, he's a brave and valiant soul, and they honor him. So, aside from the, from the CG, and aside from uh, the, the racial, potential racial undertones of Jar Jar, I mean, what, do you, what, did, you, what did you think of his character? Because I'm sure you've heard so many Jar Jar jokes over the years without having seen the movie. There was, you had an image of what Jar Jar was in your mind, sort of going in. How did it sort of live up to your expectations of what you were thinking he was all about? I mean, he's, a, he's about what I expected. I, like, all right, so this is one of those movies, like, you know, we talked about this a little bit when we did that uh, the month years ago of, uh, like, the box office bombs, where we were like, okay, well, these are movies that are supposed to be terrible. Maybe we'll like them. Mm-hmm. And I kind of went into The Phantom Menace thinking, like, all right, so people have been shitting on this movie for, like, 18 years. Maybe, you know, I'll see it with, like, fresh eyes and be like, oh, everybody needs to lay off. This is really good. And I 
I, I don't feel that way. You don't feel that way. I feel it's not that great. Um, and Jar Jar is everything people said he was. I just, he just keeps saying shit and just being there. Yeah. I don't want him to be there. I think part of, part of the the big problem with him, and I think you sort of brought it up with like the the words and the language of it. Yeah, he's got like pig Latin thrown in there occasionally. It's and this, just it's like... a little too dense on the uh, on the Gungan speak, where like when he's saying shit like you know, Yusa saying boom de gasa, then we question but hey blibber, blah blah, and it's just like I don't know what the hell you're talking about, dude. And like and when half of I his don't lines... know nothing about birth and babies. <laughs> when half of his lines are stuff that like you can't even figure out what he's trying to say. It makes it very hard to like empathize with him as a character, or like really, you know, understand or like like him. You know, it's bad enough when they're throwing like Gungan and Padawan and Midi Chlorian and all the other words right. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like um, I, I I know what they are now, but they're uh, and I don't this whole underwater thing. See, is... the trick is you need to watch this movie at least ten more times, then you start to actually <laughs> get it. Is the thing <laughs> like you need to, and then maybe like on your spare time, go onto Wikipedia and just sort of look up some of these terms. Like, what exactly is a hay blibber? You did just say Wikipedia, right? Yeah, that's the uh, that's the online Star Wars database. That's adorable. I kind of want to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, see, all right, so they're being attacked by these fish monster things. And, um, I don't know why. Well, because they're underwater. And it's... Right, no, but I mean, in, in the sense of, like, like, I don't know. There's just so much going on in this movie that doesn't need to be going on. Like, what? It, all right, so, the trade routes. <laughs> Back to the trade routes. Okay, no, just trade explain routes. it to me. What, I, before... I honestly can't explain it to you. I don't know what the trade deal was. It's never explained. And let me, uh, there's probably some book somewhere that like explains it, but like I know. the like the Twin Peaks books where it's all like the oh here's what was going on over here. Well, there's a, I mean there's like so many goddamn Star Wars books, but uh, okay. Well, you're asking about the fish. There's a line that Qui Gon has that is somewhat thematically relevant to the whole movie, which is there's always a bigger fish. And part of the idea of this movie is that like there's this duality with almost all the characters. So that underwater sequence with the fish, it was sort of like uh, a synecdoche. For, like, the entire situation with, like, okay, we've gotten rid of this villain, right. but there's somebody behind and them. And part like... of the key is that Qui-Gon is the only one, he's the only Jedi in this whole scenario that actually knows and is the one who could figure out what is actually going on. Because, you know, the Jedi are on Coruscant, hanging out in their temple, literally hanging around Senator Palpatine without knowing that he is actually Are we not supposed to uh, notice Sith Lord? that it's and the same actor? No, I mean it's you know. I mean, it, if if you haven't seen the original trilogy, and you're going into this like you. I mean, they're showing a lot of his face. They do show a lot of his face, yeah. All right. I mean, I know a lot of people who did not know that Sidious and Palpatine were the same person. I mean, I knew because it's just like growing up, you buy an action figure called Emperor Palpatine, and then they're like, you know, oh, this guy's called Senator Palpatine. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm gonna put two and two together here and know that like, okay, yeah, he's yeah. The, he's the bad guy. But so then, so then there's this whole thing about like, okay, so Darth Maul shows up. And then there's this idea of like, oh, well, there's always two there are, a master and an apprentice. You know, it's like there's always that bigger fish out there. There's always this bigger thing that's going on. And, you know, Qui-Gon throughout this whole movie is saying like, I sense something bigger here. It's not about this trade trade route. There's some, there's some other bigger plot going on. And then he finds Anakin and brings him to the council and is saying like, you know, hey, this is, he's a really important 
person here. He's like, he's a virgin in the force. He's like the chosen one. He's got, you know, crazy force powers. We need to train him. And they all say like, no, no, no. And he's like, listen, like some shit's going on and he's a big part of this. And I don't know how it all fits together, but like the whole Jedi council, including like Mace Windu and Yoda, they all dismiss him. Qui-Gon is the only one who can actually has the wisdom to be able to see the bigger picture here. And that's why it's important that like, you know, it's an, it's the whole duel of the fates thing, you know, this grand song at the end, this whole big battle at the end is like, it's called duel of the fates because it's like literally like if Qui-Gon beats Darth Maul, then like maybe the fate of Anakin could be different because if Qui-Gon was Anakin's master, like maybe he wouldn't have become Darth Vader. You know, maybe he could have discovered Palpatine beforehand. But, uh, you know, he's killed, and so the fates lie with uh, with the dark side. So, yeah, that all comes from that scene with the fish. <laughs> okay. I still don't like it, but okay, it makes more sense now. I didn't like Jar Jar's reactions, and it kind of reminded me of, like, like in a Bob Hope movie from the 40s, something, something scary would happen, and Bob Hope would kind of be like, oh, no, and then his black manservant would be like, oh! like just like yelling and waving mm. his arms around much in the manner of Jar Jar Pinks. But I mean, this part confused me. Jimmy Stewart. Because we're supposed to like that's not Natalie Portman. No, that's not Natalie Portman. Right. But Natalie Portman is still there. And it just confuses me so much. Or it confused me first watching cuz when this was coming out um I remember thinking like, "Oh, Natalie Portman's in it." that's kind of hot um <laughs> and She's 14 like, years old tim come on was she no she wasn't i think she was i mean no she's only 12 with leon the professional okay yeah i'm not sure how old she however was. old she was she's like she's older than me no at the, t- at the time no natalie portman was you know she was definitely i mean you know my probably my first like big you know screen crush but um so yeah, this whole thing. I, I remember you were you were confused about like, okay, wait a minute. So they invaded the city. Like we don't see that invasion happen, but it, it is part of the thing. I mean, this movie moves so. Fast. Well, that also was like I think it happened while I was asking you what the hell happened in another scene already because <laughs> I was, and then so I just kind of missed that moment, and then it threw me even more when it was like this, uh, Kira Knightley looking less like Natalie Portman than she's ever looked before. <laughs> Uh, I, I just I don't. Well, I mean, I can definitely tell you, like when I saw this movie for the first time, that whole thing definitely confused me. I liked him about like, I like that guy. When is wait a minute? Who knows that she is actually the queen? And are we supposed to know? And like, it it was all very confusing. I feel like the audience is supposed to know because it when it showed her earlier, it was Natalie Portman as the queen. And now it's it's not. And Natalie and Portman's Natalie right Portman's, next yeah, to her. Right so right it's right. like, oh, there's Natalie Portman over there. Sophia Coppola's in there somewhere too, right? Yeah, but the lead up to this movie, when they, they advertised Natalie Portman not as playing Queen Amidala. She was playing Padme Nibiri. That was, right. that See, was I the didn't name know that about Nibiri. On, that was the name that appeared on, like, you know, the action figure. That was, like, who we knew was Natalie Portman. You're not supposed to know that she is actually the queen. But, but it would when show... you're watching it, like, you can clearly see that it's her. So it makes it confusing. Yeah, which one's Sofia Coppola? <laughs> I don't know. I've never, now. I've never, I've actually never spotted her. 
I'm like. But yeah, she is. She yeah, Sofia Coppola is one of the handmaidens. Yeah. Have you seen The Handmaid's Tale? Uh, no, Kayla has actually. Oh. She said it was good. Yeah. Does it tie into <laughs> these women at all? If it did, then I would have watched it by now. <laughs> so I'm sure you would at least five times. Like, oh, a whole Hulu show about the handmaidens of Naboo. <laughs> That's got to be great. <laughs> So Liam Neeson is in this movie. Yes. Was he? Do you know if he was like a, uh, a Star Wars fan and when he was younger, if that's what attracted him to it, or was it mostly like they're gonna give me a check for how much money? Um, I don't, I don't know uh, Liam Neeson's, uh, uh, you know, approach to Star Wars. Because I imagine right? because of like what Star Wars is as a phenomenon, right? There are a lot of actors who would do a Star Wars movie for basically nothing just because they wanted to be a part of yeah, something like, like that. Yeah, uh, like, well, I do know Ewan McGregor was one of those because he has family ties to Star Wars. His uncle played Wedge Antilles, the, uh, the, the X-Wing pilot for the Rebellion, in all three of the original films. Dennis Lawson is the actor's name. Oh. And Ewan McGregor is his nephew. And so he grew up, you know, like, idolizing his uncle as being, like, you know, he's a rebel pilot and uh so then he gets the chance to play obi-wan kenobi and he just you know rat tail and all yeah i'm not a fan of the of the padawan haircut <laughs> it's almost like when george lucas was first thinking about it it might have been like maybe 1991 and he was like this is what the kids think is cool right now and he just kept that image yeah and it. then like Ewan mcgregor doesn't really get a good shake until episode three because in episode two he's got the jedi mullet oh god and, uh, yeah. I like... Ian McGregor doesn't look very good in this movie at all. He always has kind of, like, this sweaty sheen to his sort of, like, yeah, somewhat... Yeah, he's got, like, of, a Ray Liotta face where it's, yeah, like, it's caked really in weird. makeup, but somehow the sweat's coming through. <laughs> and it's just kind of, like, I, I don't know. It looks like he spent all day kind of, like, drinking Budweiser's or something, and it just feels kind of bloated. And there's certain shots on Tatooine that really kind of stand out. I think they were, like, reshoots or something because his hair is a little different. He just looks funky. The introduction of R2-D2, I think, is really great. Yeah, that's effective, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's good stuff in this movie. I'm not saying it's, like, all bad. It's just, like, he could have used some more collaborators on the script. Yeah, you know, that was something that, um, I mean, George Lucas, uh, this his whole Star Wars saga was originally conceived when he was first writing the original Star Wars he started to think about it as a, a multi-film series. And at some times it was, it was a three part. Sometimes it was six. Sometimes it was nine. Sometimes it was even 12 episodes that he was planning. Um, but especially by the time you get to empires, when he really started to solidify his idea for uh, three prequels, which is empire strikes back was the first movie that he branded episode five. Cause before that, you know, star Wars, now we know it as episode four, a new hope, but, at, in 1977 it was just star wars yeah. um so people going to see the movie in 1980 uh empire strikes back were a little bewildered when it said you know star wars episode five I just empire strikes back cut it real quick darth maul just made his entrance and it was a really great entrance but then they cut to a close-up and it kind of looked stupid just saying sorry go on <laughs> all right <laughs> um <laughs> So it, what's what's fascinating though is that so much of the backstory of what this movie is and what, what the prequels are was uh, was plotted out 
as far back as 1976 because the the no, the original novelization of Star Wars which came out in 1976 which was ghost written by Alan Dean Foster it be, it begins with a prologue that basically describes a, Sen- a senator palpatine he's n- even named as palpatine and how he basically was able to uh trick ev- all, everybody in the republic to becoming emperor and how he was able to use that to destroy the jedi and do all that so i mean there so that this whole political uh, machination drama was something that he had wanted to do all the way back to uh the, or the original drafts of, of the first star wars I want to know more about Palpatine. Yeah, he's like, a really I, fascinating character. I kind of... Because, like, I get that this is supposed to be, like, Anakin's story. Yeah. Like, this is... But, like, in saying episode one, here's, like, the origins of stuff, it's just, like, Palpatine's already a senator. He's already, like, got his fingers in all the pies. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I want to know, uh, I want to see his childhood. I want to see how he became such a dick. Yeah, you know, and it's fascinating because that's a, that's a part of, um, I mean, one of the rules of Star Wars is basically, like, if they appear on screen for any moment of time, like, there's a backstory written about them, and there's probably a novel or a short story written somewhere. Yeah, you mentioned earlier book. Wedge Antilles, doesn't he yeah. have his whole series? He's, he's got a whole series of books, yeah. And he's um, somebody I didn't even really know his name until recently. Right. He was just like I saw all those movies. I just he was just some guy who was there. Um, but Palpatine is somebody who like they haven't really gone too deep into his uh, backstory before Episode One. Um, they they do there is a book called Darth Plagueis which goes into his his master and it's the story of how he uh, became trained in in the in the Jedi and the Sith arts. I mean. His- Plagueis, like one word, like that's somebody's name, like Darth Sidious, Darth Vader, Darth Plagueis. Plagueis. Yeah. Okay. That's. He's all, he's offhandedly mentioned in in uh, episode three, and then they wrote a whole book about him. Oh. <laughs> what is this guy's name next to Jar Jar? That is uh, Captain Panaka. Panaka. That's right. He played is, by uh, uh, Hugh Corshi. He's one of my favorites. I was gonna say he's definitely a highlight of this. He film. he leaves an impression as far as one of the uh, ancillary characters. Is he in uh, the other prequels? No, actually. He oh. uh, he didn't return for episode two or three. Um, they brought in a different character uh, to kind of fill his place. Um, huh. that, that's kind of annoying. Because he, he does stand out as somebody like... I mean, you know, George Lucas, um, his writing is famous. His dialogue is famous for being like very difficult to deliver. Yes. <laughs> and there are like certain actors who can kind of pull it off and make it interesting, Ian McDermott. Um, and uh, like, oh, who else? <laughs> well, there's a, there's a famous anecdote about um, when they were shooting the very first Star Wars movie, which up until episode one was the only one that was, that the script was solely written by George Lucas. Oh. Um, but uh, they, they were, there's a, an anecdote that Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill like to tell about one of their first days on shooting and they had this they were reading the script and uh harrison ford had this whole long drawn out thing that he was supposed to say about like you know the kessel run yeah some like you know all these like you know uh space words essentially Uh, and he was kept trying to kept trying to uh to say it and say it um 
but eventually, you know, he just broke down and said, like, George, you can write this shit, but, like, you can't say it. And so, like, they wound up changing a lot of lines. Okay, you bring up Anakin's introduction as being underwhelming. And I noticed when we were watching it that you were kind of like, wait a minute, did they just did they just introduce that? I thought main I missed something, and... like, because he just kind of runs in. And, like, it, you know, like, I think that's at the... the moment I was like, eh. But, like, once the movie was over, I was like, okay, that made sense. No, because the because idea is kinda... that it's supposed to be, like, this guy that, you know, the, the person that you just least expect to be important. Just, like, this you know, dirty-looking kid rummaging around in the background. Yeah, although this queen <laughs> looks at him and immediately is soaking wet. Yeah, she's enraptured by Anakin for reasons yeah. that I don't really know. She's but. just like, oh my god, I want to fuck this child so hard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd go that far, but... Um, you can see it in her eyes. <laughs> she's definitely taken by him, that's for sure. Yeah. But, I mean... It, part Okay, this, this sort of brings us to, like, probably the number one problem with this movie... I think that, and I think if this problem was fixed, I think the movie would be viewed in a way different light, which is the script, specifically the stilted dialogue. <laughs> it's like, the only thing wrong with this movie is the script. I mean, well, specifically the dialogue. I think okay, the stilted yeah. dialogue. Because I think the overall the story is like, is good. And I think like uh, there's, it's doing a lot of interesting things. Yeah, I it's would just, like more explanation of the text. It's just the, the dialogue trailers. and the acting. And the, specifically the, the delivery of all this dialogue it's just like so dry so wooden and so flat and that like really none of the actors come out uh positively i mean liam neeson is probably the one of the main cast that like really uh sort of breaks through and crafts like a, a full persona for himself i mean amidala is like so well, Land. as soon she puts on that makeup, which is capable of draining you of all emotion, apparently, because yeah. anytime she's in the makeup, she is just talking like this, and it reminds me of like um, I took this class in school called poetry and performance, where you know we had to perform poetry, we had to read it out loud, and I can't do that. I learned in that class, <laughs> like, because um, like we had to work it into like scenes from like plays and stuff and when i was just doing regular dialogue um the professor actually said like oh i thought you were just talking to me i didn't realize you were reciting that as dialogue and then i would go into poetry and she'd be like tim you're not you're horrible <laughs> and i was basically natalie portman in the phantom menace wearing the makeup and uh and jake lloyd who <sighs> I mean, he's a child. He's a child. But so was Shirley Temple. He kind of he kind of <laughs> has some Shirley Temple mannerisms every once in a while, I think. Um, okay, here's <laughs> okay. Right. This moment, that's that's his infamous uh, yippee moment. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where I'm just like, who the hell on set was like. Yeah, that's good, George. That's that sounds good. You know, why not just be like, hey, hey, George, you might want to do another take. He's probably just like, no, we got it. It's good. Moving on. It's in the script. Says so yippee. Said it. It's good. Well, what kind of? Uh, I mean, you have a completely CGI character that he's interacting with, which hadn't really been done to this extent. Right. Yeah. So when he's talking like, to water, what is yeah. he acting off of? He's probably well acting off of a tennis ball or something. That, that's at the end of a stick yeah. or something. Yeah. Or? But it's, like again, that, since that hadn't been done, how do you direct that even? You know. Yeah, so they were they were figuring out a lot of those things as they were going. Um, and what's interesting, you brought up earlier, like the idea that like what this movie really could have benefited from was like another pair of eyes on the script. 
Um, that, that was something that George Lucas, all through the 90s when he was developing this movie, he went to a whole bunch of different filmmakers to say, like, hey, I'm making another Star Wars. Do you want to direct this movie? He went to Steven Spielberg. He went to Ron Howard. He went to Robert Zemeckis, who I'm guessing, probably because of his work on uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, mm. in which you had animated characters interacting with live-action people, he was probably like, oh, well, he knows how to, you know, really do that. Maybe, you know, he'd probably be a good fit. Um, and he went to Irvin Kirshner, who had directed uh, Empire Strikes Back, and they all turned it down because it, it was just too daunting. They said it was like, no way am I getting involved in this. Like, this is just too big, too much pressure, too much expectation. It, you should do it. <laughs> And so George Lucas was like, "All right, well, I guess I'm the only one who's gonna do it. If I'm not, if you know, I'm not gonna do it, then no one will. And for better or worse, you know." This there's a whole this confrontation just occurred in the in the marketplace <laughs> there, where like uh, Jar Jar Binks was attacked because he stole somebody's food or something, and mm-hmm. Jar Jar Binks is this horrible. Like what? Like he just was stealing food. That's how that whole thing started, right? He tried to steal food, but it was attached to something. And yeah, yeah, cartoony yeah. Hijinks. I mean, you don't know that he was because you know he, he might have been wanting to pay Shusha for it. Shusha and Sammy can't pass up that watermelon. Okay, <laughs> what specifically about Jar Jar connects it to a black stereotype? I mean, just because he's doing certain things that like you could say like, oh well, this is you know, like what about him is like a black person? What about him is a black person? I mean, he's being played by a black person. I'm yeah. at best. Did he get any, like, shit from people for this? Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, everybody okay. got shit Well, from I always, because, like, <laughs> watching it, that was the first time I ever heard the actor's name, was, like, in the credits and everything. People would always say, oh, Jar Jar's horrible. I never really heard he much said, about him at best. He says that this role ruined his entire career. Yeah, I mean, he's... He... Well, it's like, um, was it Getty Watanabe as uh, Long Duck Dong? In 16 Candles. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he continued acting after that, but he uh, is not thought of very highly in the Asian community. And, uh, I mean, it also extends to Jake Lloyd, who has gotten... I mean, when this movie came out, and it was so widely derided by so many fans, Jake Lloyd was one of the targets that... Is he taking the really queen to his bedroom? ...went after. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to ignore that. I'm sorry. Because I'm trying to say, like... <laughs> But like so, he Jake Lloyd was like personally like bullied and attacked. Like he would he went back to school, and you know he was just bullied relentlessly about like you know oh you're the guy who like ruined Star Wars, and uh, it really kind of like it it messed him up. I mean he and he was uh, his struggled with mental illness his whole adult life, and um, he was actually uh, he's been arrested for like you know getting into fights with like his mother and all this kind of he's had drug problems it's just like he it really is not uh life has not treated jake lloyd well and it's really unfortunate because you can't blame him for what's going on in this movie he's a kid you know and he had george lucas telling him that he was doing a good job yeah and like it's really sad that like fans can be so vicious and so cruel towards somebody who's like not responsible for this Oh, it was a lot of it. I mean, this is 1999, so the internet exists. Yes. <laughs> so I'm assuming a lot of that abuse was uh, just random trolls on the internet. I don't, I don't uh, know. I but mean, also, like I, I mean, said, it was, he went to school. school. Yeah, you know, it was like it was which, a thing. Like, you know, I mean, and he, he started to do like the convention circuit back when he was like he had grown up. Uh, he was in his teenage years and stuff, 
And I think he was getting a lot of heat from people there, too, you know, like... From people his own age, or, like, adults going to a child and telling them they suck? I think it was all that, you know? That's, like, people probably sent him... That? People probably sent him hate mail, you know? It was just, like, he, he was just getting it from all angles. And uh, it's just, yeah. It's not cool. I mean, like, you know, fans... Obviously, Star Wars fans are very passionate. I mean, I understand that. But, like, it, it sometimes goes way too far where you're just like, come on, like... Yeah. Well, it's just not being able to separate reality from fantasy. Yeah, totally. Type of thing, yeah. And I think, like, a lot of the hate that it, that is extended towards George Lucas, who, I mean, if you don't like the movie, I mean, he's the one to blame, for sure. But, I mean, when you hear people say, like, oh, you know, he raped my childhood, and he's, like, you know, the worst, you know, filmmaker ever, it's just like, come on, like... It's like, he, seriously, but he gave you the original stuff that you're claiming he ruined. I know, like. that's the thing, is, like, you know, before this movie came out, he was, like, you know... A, a, a god among men among you know like all, for so many fans because it was like he was responsible for two of the greatest film trilogies ever with Star Wars and Indiana Jones and I mean aside from like Howard the Duck pretty much every movie he was involved with was like you know really good and then it's just like you know this movie comes out and almost immediately you know the fan backlash just like was so furious um and, and now he lives in Cinderella's castle, or whatever, because Disney owns it. Well, yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> George Lucas is. I mean, you know, for as much he's he's got, and you, you know, it's hard to you can't really feel too sorry for him when he sells the whole thing for four billion dollars. But, uh, <laughs> but still, I mean, I to his, to his credit, I mean, when he went to make Episode Two. You know, he doubled down on a lot of the stuff that, like, <laughs> he was criticized for. Um, Is Hayden Christensen better than Jake Lloyd, actor-wise? Yeah, okay, yeah, he's better, right. for sure. But I, I don't mean, think I've seen him in anything. He still has his problems, and I think most of it extends to the, the dialogue that he's given. I mean, when you have lines like, I wish I could wish away my feelings, it's like, it's just <laughs> really bad, you know? And that's supposed to be a romantic scene, and it's just, ugh. But, anyway... There was a really cool two-shot um, a couple of scenes ago with Sidious and Maul. Like, there are, like... Oh, yeah, when they're on Coruscant and they're, uh... The, uh, the... At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge scene. One of the probably three lines of dialogue that Darth Maul has in this movie. Anakin's mom is very attractive. And I think, uh... Yeah, that's Shmi Skywalker. <laughs> like, like Captain Hook's friend. Well, I think, I think you're not, I, I think you're not the only one who thinks that she's attractive, because there is this... Well, Liam If you, if you choose character. to look into it, I think there's, a, there's this sort of unspoken love thing between Qui-Gon and Shmi. They kind of give each other the eyes, and there are a couple moments coming up where, like, um, you can, you can tell that, like, I think... Anakin's that, like, come on, guys. <laughs> No, I think that that, that uh, you know this night they, uh, you know, they may have been sharing a bedroom. Although Shmi might they only... were swapping some metachlorians. Yeah, <laughs> Shmi might only have eyes for Jar Jar. No, well, he does have that know. tongue. I don't know. R two D two's got all those attachments. <sighs> anyway, I don't know. There's well, thanks all for joining us. All, <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of crazy stuff happening in that uh, slave home that night. Yeah, so the, just the, the whole idea of um, casting, or just creating the role of Anakin in this movie around a nine-year-old 
is a decision that even I sort of struggled with for a while. I'm like, why would you do that? Because it's, when you go into episode two, you essentially, you're recasting the role. It's essentially a new character because we were jumping ahead like 10 years and so much of his personality has changed that it's like, you don't really see the how the evolution from Jake Lloyd to Hayden Christensen in a way that I wish that we did. But um, I, as it's as a concept, I do kind of like the idea of starting this whole Star Wars saga, you know, episode one, with like, okay, this is, you know, Anakin Skywalker as a boy, and he's this innocent young child with infinite possibility, and the idea of going on this journey with him to his inevitable end, where he turns on everything and essentially destroys the galaxy, uh, you know, kills all the Jedi and like and takes control. I mean, that is a compelling arc for somebody to go on. Um, I just wish that uh, some of that connective tissue between this movie and episode two was uh, was stronger. And so we're, I mean, we're seeing that again sort of in the new movies with Kylo Ren. Like, the stuff, I mean, we don't see it, but they talk about, like, before he became... What does he call himself besides Kylo Ren? Doesn't he? Does he have another name like Darth something? Or well, that, 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 that is his name because his just... his real name is Ben Solo. Oh, okay. Right. And then he took the name Kylo Ren. Sorry, it's been like so he has no Darth two name, years. But, yeah, right. I gotta rewatch Force Awakens. Yeah, because he is he is the grandson of Anakin. Yeah, and it's just um, I don't know. The whole thing is very sad because it's just like all right. So I mean. The prequel trilogy, it's like we know how it's going to end up. It's not going to end well because of how the original trilogy, the OT, uh, begins. Here's a here's a uh, Shirley Temple moment right here, real quick. Doesn't that feel like Shirley Temple when he crosses his arms like that, like that? Hmm. Right at the last second yeah, before it wipes away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I do see that. Yeah. But anyway. Um, <laughs> well, it, all right. So and then you know the the OT begins and uh, you know everything sucks and they're you know, fighting against uh, the Empire. And then at the end of Return of the Jedi, it's like, all right, everything's cool. And then Force Awakens comes around and it's like, nope, everything sucks. And then, you know, throughout these movies, you know, battles will be won or lost or whatever. And it's like, okay, everything's cool. But basically these movies are all saying, everything's going to suck forever for the most part. But... I guess just try and enjoy those moments when you think you're getting ahead. <laughs> well, this this sort of leads into why I'm really excited about episode eight, um, because I think I'm, I'm really curious to see where Luke Skywalker, where his mind is at, because I think he's kind of thinking the same thing that you are, where it's just like, no matter what you do, things are going to go bad. So I'm just going, you know, the only way to really make things better is to not engage with things. You know, that's why he says in the trailer, you know, like it's time for the Jedi to end. It's like, you gotta like we need to stop like trying to this endless light side dark side war just has to stop yeah one way or the other um so yeah it'll be really interesting to see what this is uh all about i mean and to your point i mean well there's there's a distinction that i sort of make in my mind between what what real star wars is 
and I don't know if I really because there's this little citation, little caveat in my brain next to like Force Awakens and Last Jedi, where it's like, well, that's not the story that George Lucas was wanting to tell, mm-hmm. because that's not his scripts, it's not his story. He had very little to do with that. So I, in my mind, it's it's sort it's almost like you know like Lord of the Rings. There's the Lord of the Rings books written by J.R.R. Tolkien, and then there's like those other ones written by other authors that like you know don't really count as part of like that story so to my mind it's like you know you could look at return of the jedi as being that is the real end of star wars you know that's those six movies that's the saga and then there's seven eight and nine made by you know yeah lucasfilm and you know all those people there but you know maybe it's uh oh watch this real quick that's a real hand that's a, that's not a cg hand and it creeps me out every time <laughs> there are a couple little moments where jar jar there were these little uh close extreme close-up shots where it's not a cgi it's a uh it's a you know i'm guessing i'm at best in a suit and they're creepy every time <laughs> now you pointed out uh so when this scene started when we were watching it that first time i was like oh is that greedo as a kid and you were you were very adamant you're like no that's walt this walt yeah. Wald, but I didn't. They didn't call him Wald at any point in the scene, did they? No, it's in the credits. Okay, Warwick Davis as Wald, and well, we also we see Warwick Davis later. Yes, so that maybe that could be Wald. No, that's Weasel. But you only know that because uh, Wikipedia, right? Okay, but just like me, just a regular person who saw the uh, the OT, right, and is like watching this. It's like, oh, there's that's Greedo. There's going to be some sort of joke about shooting first or something like i don't know um just because you see another rodian doesn't mean that it's the same rodian they all look alike to me you don't see captain panaka and be like oh is that lando <laughs> i did no i didn't <laughs> uh but i bet a lot of people did well it also just looks like they could have easily just taken whatever leftover head of greedo they had and put it on a little kid yeah because like he doesn't have a neck well, the, the the big reason why I know for a fact that right. it's not Greedo is that there is a deleted scene from this movie in which Greedo actually does appear. As a kid. As a kid. Does he look just like Walt? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> All right. Like, if you saw the two of them next to each other and they were, yeah, like, you wearing might think the same that they clothes. They were, like, yeah, twins or whatever. Well, all right. So I'm not that racist. Okay. This scene coming up, we're gonna get, we're gonna see these bedroom eyes by Sh- by Shmi. She's gonna give Qui Gon the the bedroom eyes. Well, her son just went inside the house with the queen, right? She's in there somewhere. Uh yeah, yeah. Jar oh. Jar and R two D two are cuddling up with C three PO. Obi-Wan's like, I'm sleeping in the van, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's essentially what he's doing. <laughs> um. Yeah, so this is the whole metachlorian thing, which I totally... It makes it not a religion or anything. Okay, yeah, here we go. Oh, yeah. Oh, she wants it. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and followed immediately by this huge phallic spaceship. <laughs> Sh- shooting right tor- towards, to the, yeah. towards the egg, yeah, of the planet. Uh. Um, no, so the metachlorian thing, like... On the surface, it's like, yeah, I don't understand why George Lucas felt the need to explain the force any more than like it's this energy field that surrounds us and binds us it penetrates us it's you know between it's it exists within everything it's created by living things you know between me and the tree and the rock and all that and it's like that was always enough you know and it was always enough to be like oh maybe if I 
you know, try really hard or if I train really hard, I can use the force too. It's in everything. No, so then this movie comes around and they say like, well... It's something that you're born into and you just don't belong. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it was always something that was there because Luke Skywalker says in Return of the Jedi, you know, like the force is strong in my family. So it is like, there is this idea that it is like you can pass it down yeah. to you. But I mean, in that context, before these exist, these movies existed, that's just sort of like, oh, like he was like raised a certain way, sort of like, or he knew, although we see him like learning what it is, basically. Genetic memory. Yeah. But I, the, I, the real reason why I think that George Lucas included the Metachlorians, oh, I think it's twofold. It's one is because they wanted an easy way to show that Anakin was really strong in the Force and to be able to say like, it's over 9,000. Is just sort of like, and it's a lazy way, <laughs> admittedly. It's a lazy way. But I think that's one of the main motivating factors to be like, okay, we got to have some metric here. Well, it's, to like say the, like, it's like the Scientology ratings. Yeah, to be able to say like, oh, he's got more Metachlorians than Yoda. You know, like, oh, like, oh, he's really strong. But also, I think, as you watch the other movies, and you kind of start to realize, and it's not ever really spelled out as well as I think it could have been, but the idea that the Jedi are not the Jedi that we always thought that they would that that they were. They're not the great wise Jedi that they should be. That they're spending all their time like worrying looking down in microscopes, worrying about the science of the force and not like the the spiritual nature of the force. It's like the Vatican. Yeah, they're like and they're all mixed up in all this dogma, you know, like Qui-Gon takes Anakin there and it says like, "Look, he's like he was created from the force, you know. He's a virgin." It's like he was born of this virgin birth, essentially. Like, he's super important. He is the chosen one. And they're like, no, we can't train him. He's too too old and, uh, you know. So they're, they're misguided. And they're, they're astray. And that's part of the reason why the Jedi were able to be bested by a Sith who was literally, like, hanging around them every day. Like, walking the halls. Okay, here's another moment. Here. Qui-Gon. Okay, and you can't hear it. We just, but when, when Qui-Gon goes and takes Shmi off the thing, he goes... Good morning. <laughs> you can't hear it. No, you can hear. You can't hear it now because the TV's oh, okay. Down. But in the in the audio, <laughs> you're he like, actually does say, you're like I've watched it in slow motion, <laughs> extreme close up on his lips. He says good morning. No, no. It, it, if the if the audio was turned up more, okay. you could hear him. You hear him say, uh, "Yeah, good morning." And uh, yeah, this movie is um, a lot better with the sound way down because <laughs> it looks really good, right? <laughs> yeah. I think visually, this movie is really, really great, and because there's, there's really nothing else that like. I'm enjoying more of like the uh, the antics of the um, the the slave owner guy. I'm sorry again, his name. Watto. Watto. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever uh, get a handle on all these names. Um, here's the big uh, pottery scene. Yeah, and one of the one of the criticisms that the the pre- that this movie and the prequels have, have sort of faced is <sighs> comparing it to the original trilogy. As being like, you know, the original trilogy, one of the things that made it so unique was at sci-fi at the time was was always very, you know, sleek, futuristic, you know, sterile. Everybody wears the same, you know, costume. And then that was, it was like dirty and lived in. And then, yeah, Star Wars comes along and it's, it's that lived in universe. And part of the thing in this movie is it, it has less of that where, you know, you're going to Coruscant and you're seeing these like big immaculate you know almost art deco style buildings you're going to naboo which has this very like you know venetian quality with these ancient sort of you know roman feeling sculpture and you know the rivers and everything 
I hate what's happening right now. Yeah, oof, this is rough. <laughs> I, oh, you don't like these guys? We're, we're getting introduced to all the pod racers. No, right? no not, not these guys. Just the fucking announcer. I like that With, that like, guy. the screens behind him and stuff. He looks like a practical puppet. A lot of these are, actually. Yeah. I like the little guy that was bobbing across the screen in front of him. I like the elephant right there. <laughs> this is uh, this is his little Three Stooges homage with these droids here. These are the Three Stooges droids. I think it's important for droids to have personality, but only to. <laughs> I think there's a there's a fault in in uh, this movie a little bit. Not necessarily this particular film, but in the prequels. Oh like, yeah, I think they go a little too far, especially battle, with the, the battle, battle droids. Yeah, like yeah. once you get into episode three specifically, and their voices start Ooh. to be like, you know, wow, and they, yeah, they get a little too wacky. Now uh, this is one of uh, uh, another Jar Jar fart joke. It's wonderful. Why we need to? I mean, that's a thing, you know. Jar Jar, he's one minute he's stepping in shit, the next minute he's standing next to a horse who's farting in his face. It's just like, why are we? Why are we seeing this? <laughs> Did you guys already talk about the fan theory uh, that Jar Jar Binks is like a really powerful Jedi? No, or um, that he's uh, Snoke? Is that yeah, there, Snoke? there's That's this. Like he's actually one. like the biggest Sith who's just out to sabotage. Yeah, like that's his whole. Yeah, there, the, there's a fan so theory. Um, the the you know. Some, sometimes people call it the Darth Darth Binks theory, <laughs> or <laughs> Darth Darth Binks, um, but that, yeah, that uh, Jar Jar is actually, the original intention with this trilogy was going to be that Jar Jar would be revealed to be essentially Palpatine's master, that he was the one who was orchestrating all of this, or maybe he was working with Palpatine to sort of like seek out Anakin, and he was sort of, you know, the one on the inside, and it sort of goes back to these... Uh, you know, George Lucas likes to use a lot of these ancient sort of uh, character tropes. And one of them is the, uh, you know, the bumbling jester on the side of the road who's, like, doing this thing. But then you actually find out that he's, you know, actually Death the wise, the, you yeah. know, yeah, this, I, yeah. And um, Isaac Asimov's Foundation trilogy, there's a character called the Mule that is very similar to that. Where, like, he's this, like, silly character that nobody takes seriously. But uh, turns out he's actually, like, you know... Spoilers this, for the Foundation trilogy. Sorry, but um, you know, in that regard, I think it's it could have been interesting, but I honestly don't think that that was the intention at all. But there, there's a you know, there's a lot of fun little things you can pick out that you know maybe suggest that yeah, more is going on it's with Jar Jar. It's a fun thing, but it's yeah. not anything to put real. Uh... Well, we'll see as uh, as the films develop. Yeah, the very is... last, the last ever Star Wars film in like 30 years. Ah, <laughs> like, oh, goddamn it! Do you think there will the be like Mesa? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there will be like just a Jar Jar movie at some point. I don't think so. If they're doing a movie a year, at least one movie a year of Star Wars until Disney runs out of money, right? Um, they're gonna get to everyone, I think, and I think. I, mean, I don't know. It, they might you, not do it like seriously. Look, and especially I mean, like, if, if they've got like all these different directors coming out for different movies, they could even do. I mean, oh, I, in that regard, yeah, I can see what you're saying. Maybe like, yeah, here's like forty years from now, somebody's like, you know, when the when the property is a bit more relaxed and they're not taking everything so seriously, and honestly, that's when that's when stars will have jumped the shark. Or but, even um, like just like if someone like I don't know, like Judd Apatow or somebody like that was like, I'm gonna do a Jar Jar movie. 
Can I Disney? <laughs> like, oh. sure, you can have Jar Jar. Well, like, I, I don't mean to, this is completely off topic, but there's rumor of Quentin Tarantino making the next Star Trek film. That's right, yeah. He pitched a sci-fi film um, and was speaking to J.J. Abrams about it, and they're like, well, you should do a rated R Star Trek movie. Yeah, so he's... Tarantino's in the uh, in the <laughs> is in the uh, is in the writers' room on that Star Trek thing. Yeah, that that would be interesting. interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, what that could be, but um, yeah, I I mean I don't know. I I after all this time, I mean, there's been a a novel written about fucking every character, and Jar Jar has never even had a book. He's never even had his own like comic series. Does he have his defenders? I you know, I've actually said recently like. <laughs> If I could get my foot in the door at some place like Marvel or something with comics, one of the things I would pitch would be like, I would like to write a Jar Jar Binks comic book series. Because I think like there's a there's a, a cool story to tell with him, in between episodes three and four, that uh, you know because you can take characters that are like that people perceive as silly or you know don't take you know seriously at all and like you can you can make anything compelling it's, you know there are no bad characters just you know just written poorly you know so, i don't know i think you could make jar jar cool um but anyway we're watching this padre scene yeah yeah just, i'm the only defender of jar jar apparently <laughs> It's, uh... Now what... Tell me what you love about the Padres. What do I love about the Padres? I mean, it's truly, like... I think it's a thrilling sequence. It's genuinely a, uh... A a, a thrilling racing sequence. I mean, it's a a great action scene. I love the fact that, like, it... I mean, look, look how beautiful that is. Like, it looks so great. I love how there's just no music at all. It just relies entirely on the sound effects. And I think this is like probably one of the greatest showcases of Ben Burt's talents in the entire saga. Ben Burt being the, the sound designer. It just relies entirely on, on all these like, you know, engine sounds and uh, just all the little details that go on in here. I think two of the three Oscars that this was up for were sound yeah, I think it, it, you know, rightly deserves it. I, I mean, I don't know what it won, but... I mean, I think, like, you could just... If you just... I mean, there is this thing where it's, like, the movie essentially presses pause on the story for, like, ten minutes mm-hmm. while we watch this Padre sequence. So in that way, you could say that it's a bit, like, indulgent, maybe? Well, I mean, that's but... fine. We, we've talked about that in relation to, like, musicals and, like, horror movies, where it's, like... Like, we were talking about with that with The Beyond. Yeah. Like, all right, we're going to stop, and you're going to watch these spiders slowly chew this guy's face apart yeah. for no real reason. And it's it's fine. It's great. It's beautiful. Yeah, so what is, what is it about the pottery sequence that you don't like? I don't not like it. I just... You know, it's... Uh, years of people being like, well, say what you will about the Phantom Menace. The pod race is really good. Mm. So it was just kind of built up. Like, I just... I think the first instance was uh, in uh, the Clerks, the animated series. Okay, they make yeah. that reference to it. And um, I was like, yeah, okay, maybe if I ever watch it someday, I'll, I'll at least enjoy the pod race. And it was, I don't know. It's just, it's just a, it's a... It's a race. I don't know. <laughs> it's got a lot of speeder bikes on Endor in it, too. Like, that whole, like... 
Yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah Nate was uh, comparing it to the uh, yeah the speeder bike scene on uh, Endor. And it's part of the thing. I mean, George Lucas is a huge uh, race car fan. And uh, is, I mean, this goes, I mean, in yeah, line I mean, with it... that. Um, his, his whole mantra actually is like he is always trying to see like how fast you can get through a story. And sometimes it works really well. Sometimes it doesn't. I think in this movie it kind of stumbles because he's just trying to move a little too quickly. He's always like, you know, I mean, how quickly can you get the information that you need and just move on to the next thing without dwelling too much on, on stuff? Which is makes it interesting when you reach a scene like this where it just like, we're just going to take the time to get into the minutia of this entire race. You know, we see all three laps. We see every racer, how they meet their end. You know, it's like we go through all of the little the little trials and tribulations that Anakin has to go through here to finish. Um, and I will say, this is actually an extended version of the scene, because in theaters, the Padre scene was cut down by, I think, like, three or four minutes. Oh, did they cut out everything involving the two-headed asshole? Uh, no, that is definitely a part of the oh, Okay, because that's my least favorite thing about it. And I, you know, honestly, like... I like the Tuscan Raiders. The, the, the Greg Proops announcer thing, just, when I'm watching this scene, it just is just droning in the background i don't even really think about it it's, it's just, just part very of the... it's it's very like this is 1999 right kinda. yeah like, it does date it a bit i will agree with that i mean like excuse me ex- yeah i mean there are certain oh that's things more that like this is very 1991 I and i think i think that specifically was something that george lucas's like son or said when he was a kid and he was like oh excuse that's pretty funny i'm gonna put that going in the script and without realizing that it's super cheesy and bad. <laughs> I just remember, like, it, they said it on, like, Clarissa Explains It All and, like, in Wayne's World and stuff. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just very 90s. <laughs> yeah. This is one of my favorite parts. Like, there's a lot of 70s stuff in the, in the, in the OT. Right. But, I mean, it's not, like... 70s in the sense that like it's like referencing anything it just feels like oh this is this was made when it was made yeah i love the shot here where all the sound cuts out and he just like slices through the air yeah it's great it is sort of foreshadowing to uh his son on the death star yeah where he's in this in the trenches and everything yeah and i mean him he ends up also up there yeah only on yeah i mean yeah, himself was yeah in the trench. Yeah, it's trying like, to shoot his own son down. So like watching this, it's like, oh okay. So in uh, Star Wars, it's like Darth Vader's like, no, I got this, guys. I know how to maneuver this. <laughs> I did this when I was nine years old or whatever. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, that's one of the first things that we learn about Luke's father in the original Star Wars is that Obi Wan says, you know, when I first met him, your father was already a, a great pilot. Um, so we knew that he was a, you know, he was a great pilot. So, uh, it is nice to see that payoff here where, I mean, clearly he's, a. And I like that he doesn't mention he's that, like, good. he's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't mention in that, that he's like, oh, he was also a small child. Right. So that's kind of neat. I think one of the other things that makes this sequence good is that, uh, there's very little dialogue. <laughs> with uh, a lot of the, you know, with Anakin and uh, and Jar Jar, <laughs> you know, Jake Lloyd doesn't really have too much serious acting to to deal with. Um, it's kind of nice, aside from just sort of spreading 
spreading his teeth open and <laughs> grimacing. Grimacing, yeah. Spreading his teeth. Open. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I was trying to think of like how do, you, how do you say that? Barring his teeth, I'm spreading his teeth open. Yeah, that's how George you say, Lucas how you is say like, that. Spread your teeth more. <laughs> what? Just spread those teeth. Yeah, it's only at the end of this sequence that the music kicks in. Well, who does this here music? Oh, that's John Williams. Of course. And. You know, that's another thing. You know, say what you will about this movie, and you know, I'm I'm sort of the one here just defending a lot of this stuff. But I totally like. I know that there's a lot of really bad shit in this movie, but the music is not one of them. I think this this score is like one of John Williams's finest scores, not just for Star Wars movies, but you know, of any of his films. Um, there's a lot of really cool little details going on. Um. You know, as Anakin as a character in this movie doesn't really come across all that great, particularly because of his dialogue and you know not so great acting. But I really like Anakin's musical theme; um, is really good. And uh, if you listen to it, the, the it, when you listen to the, uh, the the theme, if you just listen to the song, the melody of Anakin's theme resolves itself with the same few notes as uh the imperial march resolves itself so there's just like hmm. this tiny little hint of like things to come but it's not but it's done in this way that's like uh it feels very like an innocent version of the imperial march it's kind of kind of cool greg proops so. yeah how the hell did greg proops wind up in this movie i mean whose line is it anyway yeah so popular at the time whose line was popular yeah <laughs> but i mean come on No, uh, so I mean, I, nobody mentioned the the part with Jabba the Hutt arriving and then yeah, gone by, you know, he bites off the frog's head and spits it at the gong. Yeah, yeah Jabba the Hutt and his um, oh, companion are in this movie. It just that that's the kind of moment that really takes me out of it. Yeah, I. It's like on the one hand, it's like logically, I, it does kind of make sense that like you know Jabba would be a little slimmer be there I, I think I mean I just Leaving don't think Jabba looks good is the thing and there's, a, I, yeah. there's like a lady hut there there's yeah there's a little uh, I don't know if that's who, who that is in relation to Jabba but um, but huts are actually uh, they have no no genders they're, they're sexless okay they're all hermaphroditic but I mean you still say the like, more you know father and son because Zorba the hut was Jabba the hut's father well according to that <laughs> book yeah this is a cool little detail that I always liked. We see earlier on in the movie, Darth Maul releases all of these uh, Sith probe droids. There's one of them right there. Passes right behind uh, Qui-Gon. And it, it just sort of goes by and you don't really notice it. But, like, kind of, you know, planting the little seeds of, like, oh, yeah, Darth Maul is out there. He's watching. What are they? They're these little probe droids that Darth Maul releases when he lands on Tatooine. And they, they're these little orbs, those black orbs that he sends mm-hmm. out into the, into the town to search for uh, the queen. One of them flies behind Qui Gon when he's talking to him. Oh, so it is searching for Amidala. Yeah, that's what that, searching okay. for Amidala. Yeah. And this is one of those shots that I just think Uma McGregor has just never looked any worse. <laughs> he just like does not look good at all. This is like right around the time of like Velvet Goldmine. Mm. Like that's I think that's mostly what I knew him from at that time. I, I looks great in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a combination of Iggy Pop and Kurt Cobain in that movie. I do have to say, um, one of the things that 
I have I have such a fondness for this movie, partly because it my my life is sort of marked by like these big moments. One of those moments is the release of episode one. There in my mind, there's sort of like you know like you would have like a BC or an AD like there is like a before Phantom Menace, oh, yeah. you know, like before 1999. And one of the things I mean, like like I said, I mean, me and my family, we were we I grew up and we were huge Star Wars fans, you know, from from the moment I was born. I mean, you know, Luke is here, my brother. I mean, he's literally named after Luke Skywalker. <laughs> That's true. And it was always something that, like, aside from friends and family, like Star Wars was like my life in so many ways. I mean, it was all about collecting the action figures, watching the movies over and over again reading the books, like trading cards, everything. And one of those, and it was something that I, you know, enjoyed with like my parents and with Luke, you know, in 1997, when the special edition came out, we went to go see all those movies and it was, uh, you know, really great. And all through that time, you know, that was when I was getting the Star Wars Insider magazine and they were talking about like, oh yeah, we're going to make episode one and you're getting like little glimpses behind the scenes. And so I was super excited about it. But unfortunately, leading up to the release of the movie, um, you know, my family uh, was going through a really hard time where, uh, you know, my mom was sick with uh, brain cancer. And so that whole time was really marred, uh, you know, by this really terrible thing. And in uh, March of 1999, you know, just two months before this movie came out, uh, she passed away. And it was right before my 13th birthday in April. And... Uh, you know, to say it was, like, devastating is, you know, an understatement. I mean, it literally just tore my world apart. And uh, I remember at, like, the funeral in the wake and stuff, there were all these people who kept coming up to me and Luke and saying, you know, like, trying to offer some words of of uh, comfort, whether it being, like, you know, uh, oh, this, this is all part of God's plan, or, you know, she's in a better place now, or, you know, she would be so proud of you, uh, or... You know, oh, when I was your age, uh, you know, I lost a parent. And so I know exactly what you're going through. And I remember just feeling so angry at all of those people. Yeah. And just hating every time that they would say that. Because I'm just like, you don't know what I'm going through. This is, you know, you don't know anything about me. And uh, so flash forward to, uh, to May, just, you know, two months later, it was all still so raw. But there's this new Star Wars movie coming out. So, like, you know, that's that's fucking amazing and i'm like buying the new action figures and it's just so great you know my dad takes me and luke out of school two weeks before the movie to buy tickets and uh so you know time comes you see the movie in the theater i remember sitting in the theater and the scroll comes up and it's like (laughs) the first time that you know i was really uh taken away (laughs) from my life (laughs) And everything that had been going on. And I was able to escape. And then two-thirds of the way through this movie, it turns into the story about this young boy having to, to learn to say goodbye to his mother. And uh, I remember sitting in the theater for the first time, seeing it, and just thinking, like, you know, no, no, I don't want to confront this right now. And it was, uh, you know, it, was, uh, it suddenly took me out of it. But over the whole summer, I went to go see that movie seven times in the theater. And uh, as I kept seeing it, I mean, the uh, this message that she's imparting to Anakin, 
you know, to say like, you know, don't look back, you know, go live your life. It was that thing that it was, it finally offered me some level of comfort because I realized that like, that's, you know, if my mom was here, like that's what she would want for me to like, go live a fulfilling life and go have joy. And, uh, you know, that is because, you know, anybody could have told me that who trying to offer me comfort, but finally seeing it here, it was in a language that I understood. And that's the language of Star Wars, you know, that's the thing that I knew. <laughs> and so, you know, that's, that's the, that's the power of Star Wars and that's the power of stories. That's why they're important. So yeah, this movie is like dopey as all hell. It's like <laughs> fucking like ridiculous, but like, God damn it. If it, that was, it was the thing that I really, really needed when it came out. And, uh, yeah, so there was all this great shit with, like, holy crap, we're seeing Jedi for the first time, like, and lightsabers and, like, fucking Darth Maul and all this shit was so awesome for, like, you know, a Star Wars junkie like myself. Like, that was enough to be, like, holy shit, this movie is so awesome. But, uh, for anybody, you know, you see a lot of people saying, like, oh, these, this movie is so devoid of any sort of, like, you know... Uh, heart or anything like I I disagree I mean that that scene with uh, with Jake Lloyd saying goodbye to his mother I think that's his finest moment in the movie definitely it's uh it really he he plays it well and uh, like that right there there is there is some heart there and and it it, trans it traverses into the whole prequel trilogy which is essentially all about dealing with with loss and dealing with grief and it's the thing that like Yoda says to Anakin in this movie you know he says like when he goes to confront the Jedi Council, they say, like, your thoughts are dwelling on your mother. You're afraid to lose her, you know? And he's like, well, you know, what's fear got to do with it? And he says, oh, it's everything. You know, fear leads to anger, and anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. And it's that thing of, like, you know, that visceral reaction that I was feeling, that hatred and anger that I had towards anybody who was, like, trying to talk to me about this. And, and I was just mad at everything. And, uh... It's ultimately that thing that, like, Anakin can't let go of that leads him to becoming Darth Vader. Um, that fear of, uh, you know, when he loses his mother in Episode 2, he just lashes out and, like, does these horrible things because of it. Um, and the, that, that these are the kinds of stories that are, like, important to tell, especially children who, like, you know, aside from this, like, what other, you know, there weren't any other stories in my world that could help me sort of, like, deal with uh, all those kinds of conflicting feelings and confusing things. Um, you know, maybe, like, there's, like, Batman, you know, a character who, like, he lost his parents and, like, turned that grief into something that, like, could benefit his own life. But, uh, but yeah, so, I, I mean, for that reason alone, I'll always have a fondness for this movie and for the prequels and for, you know, what George Lucas was trying to do. Um, which I think, uh, at least for me, on a personal level, he succeeded. So. <laughs> but we just saw a shot of uh, Jar Jar's nasty-looking real feet. Those were real. Those were those were real Jar Jar feet. It always it always weirds me out when I see him. This is uh, this is that scene that ends awkwardly, right? Yeah, Anakin hands Padme his uh, chipor snippet, as he calls it. 
He's such a poor snippet. Um, I, what is I that? He calls it. He, he, he hands her the necklace and he says he carved it out of a chipor snippet, whatever that is. Um, I did always like the little detail when he's when we first see him on the ship and he's bundled up and he says, you know, it's cold. It's it's kind of just a cool little thing because yeah, he's coming he's from a planet of like yeah. where yeah. like two suns and everything. So you know, suddenly being in space for the first time is yeah, pretty cool. Do you feel that those two characters do not have sex in this movie? No, I don't think that they have sex. Okay. I don't think Padme is over there, you know, uh, yeah, wooing uh, Anakin. Okay. But I, always, I know that this is kind of a frightening, a more frightening thought, but I always wonder about uh, Anakin's power of emotional manipulation and how that might play into their later relationship. Ah, that's an interesting idea. Uh, I don't know if that picked up so well because on this, but Luke just brought up the idea of Anakin's potential emotional manipulations and how it relates to his relationship with Padme in episodes two and three. And it is an interesting idea that, like, because he is so strong with the Force, that, like... And we've seen, like, the Jedi mind tricks. He's been with her since he was a little kid. Yeah. And in episode two, there's even moments where he's far more gung-ho than she is and it's always been a bit disturbing to me that it is yeah. so forceful about this and she's like weirded like, out what? and creeped out by him yeah, exactly. visibly in and so I'm, many I'm scenes i'm wondering how much of his like dark the dark side is actually coming through him and like uh i know that's kind of an ugly thought and i don't mean to no it's, it's it's an interesting idea that like if the jedi have their mind tricks you know even if it's something that anakin is doing almost subconsciously right well that's what where I mean. it's like yeah, he's it's just like wanting something of, so bad yeah that like he's, he's influencing that. her mind in a way to make her fall in love with him. Uh, I can kind of get behind that. That's uh, I think it's gross. It's super. It's, it is super dark, like you say. Um, but I, their relationship, the way that it is in episode two specifically, is like I never. You know, you don't feel that love no way. story at all. It's so awkward. And okay, this is a weird moment because Jar Jar sits down. Anakin sits down next to him. He calls Padme pretty hot. He says, like, oh, she's, you know, treating you real good. And then he kind of snickers and says, pretty hot. And it's, like, That's weird. yeah, really strange. And it's, it's like, one of the... It's one of the um, to a child. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the uh, little pieces of evidence that people use in the Darth Darth Pink series. Because yeah, he's, like... That he's sort of, like, saying, like, you know, oh, yeah, you want to, you know, you want her, don't you? We've just been introduced For... to uh, Terrence Stamp's character. I really like his performance in this. As Chancellor Valorum. He's in, he's oh, I like him too. In a very so. briefly. But yeah. he has one of my favorite moments, which is, we have not arrived at yet, but when he's just kind of like overthrown and just kind of like resigns to it. Star Wars has a, a bit of a history of, of casting these uh, these somewhat bigger actors in these small little sort of supporting roles. Um, there's Terrence Stamp in this, and there's uh, Christopher Lee in episode two. And I mean, in episode three, he has even an even smaller role. Um, there's Peter Cushing in the original, but he has a much larger uh, role in that. Well, I think uh, Samuel L. Jackson is a good. Yeah, and Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, well, honestly, uh, I was just reading today that he actually pushed to be in this film. And so they wrote the way, the Mace Windu character for him specifically. Yeah. Because he was such a big fan. 
and that goes back to what Tim was talking about before about like Liam Neeson like oh did he actually want to be in this because he's a fan or is it like more of a just a like oh the, the paycheck or whatever but I know uh, that Samuel for in Samuel Jackson's case he was like oh I want to be in this movie and so they actually wrote his character around a lot of his kind of uh, concepts yeah which is interesting it's like when George Romero did his like second dead trilogy and uh, in land of the dead the first one it's like there's allegedly all these like celebrity cameos that you don't really see because they're in the background they're just they're just like i really want to be a zombie in a romero film like some of them are obvious like simon pegg and edgar wright show up mm-hmm. um but apparently there's other ones hidden there because they just they wanted that experience yeah when you get to uh force awakens as well simon pegg again is uh <laughs> yeah ankar plot and then you've got uh daniel, daniel, craig, daniel craig as a stormtrooper storm yeah. who fights uh oh that's awesome then, yeah. well no he's actually the stormtrooper that um ray does the mind trick to oh okay and okay. says like that's you know right. you'll yeah you'll release my uh bonds or whatever she that's says right. um okay. yeah and it was actually yeah samuel jackson went to george Lucas and was like i don't care if you just if i'm wearing a stormtrooper outfit i just want to be in here somewhere mm. and uh but he is—he comes across very oddly in these in these he movies. He does absolutely. Um, I don't like the guy moving his head back and forth behind Liam Neeson. It's creeping me out. Oh yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's Yarl Poof. He's got a long neck. I love that character design. Though, yeah, honestly, it's it's so alien. It's really strange. <laughs> I kind of wish we had watched the version with the original Yoda. The puppet Yoda. Yeah. So yeah, this is absolutely. this is one of the big differences in the. Um, in the theatrical version, Yoda was mm-hmm. uh, a puppet uh, performed by Frank Oz. And it's in, if you watch the trailer, you can see that. Yeah. Um, it's only on Blu-ray that they replaced him with a CGI model. And I think it was mainly due, it was mainly done to make it more consistent with episodes two and three, which are also, uh, Yoda is entirely a CGI character. But I, I actually prefer the Blu-ray version. I think he looks better he something about the puppet in episode one just does not look right like it just doesn't it never really felt totally like yoda they tried to make him look a little too young which doesn't really make sense when you consider that he's like you know 900 years old you would think that like 30 years is like a drop in the bucket to him right but and something about just like the quality of whatever materials they were using with the puppet just seems so stiff and like rigid and i don't don't know. know where i got this but i thought i remembered reading something a long time ago from frank oz saying that like the puppet was really heavy and like really confusing to move compared to like what where they're at before like they were trying some something to make it more advanced you know and make yeah. it look more real that just like was falling but you know it wasn't really working he couldn't do it as well as he wanted to like, yeah that's what it that's what it feels like it's, yeah. it's just this stiff kind of thing um if the whole movie had been like more scenes like this like all this like procedural type stuff not the whole movie but like more (laughs) this stuff actually really intrigues me this is what you want to see more less pod racing more senate debate no because like this is like where everything is sort of like coming like how we get to the situation in the later films or the earlier films yep i i definitely agree that like we could have used a bit more uh fleshing out of the plot of things and like because a, the plot is very convoluted and the very confusing of the traitors i and like it sounds like i'm ki- i'm honestly not kidding like i really do want to know like mm-hmm. is it like oh if you enter this like sector you have to pay it is like tolls basically 
Yeah, I don't know. They like they were trying to strong arm Naboo into basically signing some yeah, kind of treaty. But I don't know what the treaty was. Um, so it's confusing because I don't know what they were trying to gain from Naboo, what this treaty was going to do for them. They were trying to invade, like, the, but they say, I guess, like that. You know, they they need her to sign the treaty to make their invasion legal. Basically, what's really going on is Palpatine is. There is no, there is no real issue here. It's all the machinations of Palpatine, where he's like sending the Trade Federation in to invade, to basically uh, create the situation where they can, where she can do this. This is the, this is the moment. This is the thing that this whole trade inva invasion is all about. It's to get Chancellor Valorum out of office, so that he can be nominated to become the next chancellor that's 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 really what it's all about so the details of the treaty don't really matter so much it's just all about you know palpatine finding just some little thing to basically get amidala to say i call for a vote of no confidence like i wish more screen time had been devoted to it um yeah i think there could have been a little bit more here's a, here's a shot coming up real quick a little homage right down in the bottom corner there's et there's three oh, ets okay um, That's awesome. And it was basically it was a, it was paying uh, Steven Spielberg back for putting Yoda in ET. Yeah. Because there's a scene where ET is walking around on Halloween, and uh, there's some there's a little kid dressed up as Yoda, and uh, ET actually looks at him and goes home home and starts walking towards him, and uh, and John Williams puts in the the the, uh, the Yoda musical theme in ET as well. So that that was a little you know payback. That moment in ET always kind of scared me as a child <laughs> there's a lot of moments in et that are rather frightening <laughs> yeah. yeah but et is just so damn good i i love that movie it is, watched, it is really well done i have yeah, not watched so et as an adult yet i really want to it makes me it that one gets the waterworks going every time no matter what is that, that that whole end sequence is just wow it's beautiful yeah it is absolutely beautiful that's, that's an ultimate intimate connection yeah I mean, is that is that one where where like the special edition is the only edition now, or no, no, no. It's it, the the original is readily available. Okay, because I just I have just the VHS. That's yeah. All, but... Yeah, you told me before we started watching it um, about the the tale of two Yodas. Mm -hmm. How there was like the the theatrical and then the Blu-ray version, and like at the time I was like, well, that's such bullshit. I should see the the original one. And then like watching the movie, I kind of forgot about it. And then, like, I... Yoda's great in this. Like, that's... I have no issues with Yoda in this movie. As yeah. far as the way he looks and everything. He... he like, the, the CG model actually does look good. Um, especially when you compare it to the original kind of crappy look. I still prefer Empire Strikes Back Yoda. That's, like... That's the best that Yoda's ever looked. Mm. But, um... Yeah. I mean, if we have to settle for something, I, I take this version. Do you feel that Empire Strikes Back is the best film in the Star Wars uh, saga so far? I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to split them up into their own movies. It is, because so much of, like, what what the, makes each of those movies great is how it relies on the other movies to sort of, like, set up and pay off certain story details. I think, like, um, you know, like, the original Star Wars is a better movie because of Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. I think, like... Yeah with those two movies it makes the original star wars even better because you can see where everything is going to go like when you watch that movie you know like oh this is you know luke skywalker when you know he doesn't 
when he's just entering in the world, and we know that he's destined to go and defeat, you know, the Empire and reclaim his, his family right and redeem his father and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I kind of go back and forth. I, I think, like, Empire definitely probably is the best movie in the story that it's telling. I think it's probably got the best story and the best... Uh, uh, character stuff in it. Um, the stories that each of the characters have in that movie, I think, is is probably better than any any of the other ones. So yeah, and, and I would say the Empire is is probably the best one. I don't know if it's like it's hard to say which one is my favorite. It changes all the time, but like, but it's hard to to look at the original Star Wars and be like, because. Because that is just such a well-made movie, especially for, like, something that was, like, first time out, building this whole universe. Yeah. And, like, cre and creating each... The look of everything, the sound of everything, the feel of everything, all the characters, fleshing all that out is just such a monumental achievement. It's just... It really is unbelievable. Um, so in that way, I think, like, the original Star Wars is 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 the best. But, uh, I don't know. It's tough. It's definitely between the original and Empire. Yeah, and then once you get into, like, the prequels and everything, it's hard to just be like, oh, here's a movie. And, I mean, because you can't just, like... Well, there are people who just went and watched this. This is the only... All right, so my sister saw this movie in theaters, and it's still the only Star Wars movie she's ever seen. Wow. And she liked it. Yeah, there you and, go. And uh, I didn't really get a chance to talk to her about it, like, after I watched it. I'm kind of curious, like, what she... Uh, not, like, what she was thinking, but, like, mm -hmm. what, like... There's a lot of stuff in here that I feel like if you don't know anything about the other movies, it's like, wait, what? Who? Why? Yeah, I would think that too. <laughs> um, because part of the... Because I've really come around to, to this movie and to the prequels over the years. Like, I went through a whole phase where it, I was just, like, really dismissive of them and just were like, okay, yeah, they're all just, like, bad movies and whatever. But they're the... I wind up rewatching the prequels, like once every like two years or so because I just always am returning back to it and being like well maybe it's not as bad as I remember it you know and so then I watch it again and I'm like ah you know these things are not so good but I'm always finding new interesting angles to come at it you know what I mean and I think like um, on a broad scale I think the story of the prequels is I think the story is, is cool and they're, they're doing a lot of interesting things and a lot of unexpected things um, like kind of what I was saying about like the Jedi being this like stodgy old stuffy sort of dogmatic you know religious group yeah. instead of the, you know the great warriors that I may have imagined when I was you know a kid but it's it is interesting telling this the story of like you know the fall of like the it's essentially like the fall of the Roman Empire done in, in space you know and the idea that like you know a, uh, a civilization can never can't be defeated until it unless it's like crumbling from the inside first and so there's this like there's 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 this rot at the heart of the jedi that uh isn't uh you know they've they've strayed from what jedi are supposed to be which is like compassionate and and uh inclusive like they're they're basically tossing anakin to the curb and saying like no get out of here we're not going to train you you know, but and Qui Gon just takes it upon himself to say like, okay, well you can just hang around me. I can't formally train you according to the you know fucking Mace Windu and Yoda, but like you can tag around and you can learn things from me, and I'll try to protect you. Um, which isn't really the kind of thing that you would you would expect 
Jedi to do. And they're, you know, they, they say like, okay, you're going to have to leave your mother and you can never see her again because that's like attachment and you need to learn how to devo devoid yourself from all emotional attachments, which I don't think is the way that like they should be, that anyone should be going about living their life because that's not, yeah. it's not practical and it leads to craziness like Anakin, you know, like it leads to that kind of insanity. Um, and then we see in the in the original trilogy, I mean, Luke is somebody who is compassionate. You know, he he loves and cares, and and you know he'll go against the wishes of Obi Wan and Yoda when they tell him not to go to Cloud City to save his friends. You know, they, he goes against their wishes, but and confronts Darth Vader when maybe he's not ready. But he you know, succeeds in the end, and he finds the thing that they couldn't see, which is that Anakin can be redeemed. Um, so I think like uh, this is all learning for Yoda especially I think like as he kind of throughout these movies sort of comes to realize that the Jedi the Jedi ways have, have strayed from where they're supposed to be I kind of wish they had spent more time telling that story I definitely honestly. agree yeah they yeah. should I think I think it's not something that was uh, illustrated very well right um, well that's probably something that will be fleshed out in future movies well, it was really it, it was really enlightening to me. There's a whole cartoon show that George Lucas uh, made called The Clone Wars, and it ran for like six seasons. And uh, if you can get past the the fact that it is a kids show made for you know kids, so there's a lot of like you know uh, some cheesy kind of kids show stuff. But it is it tells the story of this whole Clone Wars where the Jedi are put in the situation where they are now generals in a war. Which, as we know, by the time of Empire Strikes Back, Yoda's the guy who's saying, you know, like, oh, you know, great warriors, like, war doesn't make one great. But at that time, it's like, they're not realizing that, and they're going off, and they're, like, doing all these things that, like, Jedi shouldn't be doing. And the Clone Wars does a good job of, of illustrating all of that. Um, For being a children's show, like, I haven't seen all of that, but there are some really intensely profound Oh, there's uh, a lot of really moments. good stuff in there. And because it's it's a quicker episodic sort of thing. You can really take time to build, um, I don't know, just some really intense uh, struggles for characters and some really intense, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's, for it's sure. A very, it's a, becomes a very thoughtful show. Yeah, it definitely does. Like, yeah, those last couple seasons uh, get really, really uh, go into some deep territory. Which I think is important for children. Honestly. Oh, for sure, yeah. You, you, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. You have to expect them to be able to understand these emotionally heavy concepts. You know, not yeah. just not just giving them the job of the heart, the job of the heart fart jokes like Jar Jar Binks. Nonsense. Yeah, yeah, totally. Which the show that show definitely starts that way. Yeah, I remember going to see, I saw the Clone Wars movie. It was because the first three episodes were um, oh, put edited together into a feature length movie that was put out in theaters. And uh, it's just like the worst. That's that I think is the worst Star Wars movie ever. Even when compared to the Ewok movies, whatever. It's just like I just hated it so much. Um, <laughs> but the show actually gets a lot better. But anyway, we're getting close to the end here of Phantom Menace. We're we're getting to the point now where all the pieces are sort of being laid for the final act here. They do the old uh, Return of the Jedi triple climax. Well, they, they one-up it, because now in Return of the Jedi, you have these three elements going on. The battle on Endor, the battle above Endor, at, at the assault on the Death Star, and then the, the duel on the Death Star in the Emperor's throne room. And then in this movie, we've, we up it to four, 
and it may be one too many. I don't know. It kind of jumps around a little too much. Um, Which one is that superfluous one? Probably the uh, the the Gungan battle droid say, battle because it yeah. doesn't really. It's not impacting anything, especially when you consider that like once they take out the droid uh, uh, control ship, it's just like oh, it's it's over now, you know. It's ba- essentially like they they, they they craft their plan to be like that's the distraction, that there that there's this battle gonna happen with off in these planes, but meanwhile we're gonna sneak into the uh, you know into the throne room and, and take new gunray, but uh, yeah it's essentially just like I mean but it's you, also you can tell that that's like they spent the most money on that part. It's well because it's the biggest CG it's the biggest CG sequence it's in the crazy. movie. Yeah. Um so I'm sure that that was a huge It's also it's coming time up but suck I want and to money suck. That, uh, Jar Jar gets himself into some pretty interesting situations in that sequence where like it's a lot of seemingly chance uh, happenings that he can take out these whole ships on his own yeah. just by like accidentally tripping over. Well, it kind of turns into a uh, like in the great tradition of like a the physical comedy sort of thing of like a Charlie Chaplin or well, like a Buster Keaton sort of thing where you kind of like you know really bumble can. through and you're like whoop you know and the and oh, the whole side of the building is going to fall off, and you fall straight through the window, and you're okay. It's it's that sort of thing, you know. Well, I was going to say that, uh, like, uh, just bring it back to that ridiculous fan theory about him having, like, being in tune with the Force. Like, he's actually, you know, take he's doing all that shit intentionally, and imagining that, imagining that is kind of hilarious. Right. Yeah, exactly. The greatest so magician. To be, to be, to be, yeah. You know, to start the journey at all is to be to show up and. So it's like in that way, the Jar Jar. It could be a cool story. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous, but I, I, no, I mean, it, it it's is. The only, it is. It's the only plausible explanation <laughs> for a lot of the shit you see him doing, or uh, he at least has a, a something on his side in, throughout that sequence. Yeah, what's what's funny is um, George Lucas was inducted into uh, the Walt Disney um, like Hall of Fame or whatever. It was shortly after the sale. They locked him in the vault. Yeah, they locked him in the vault. <laughs> um, but in his uh, oh, is that the what do they call that? I forget. It's like Disney like little... something. Slave I driver. But <laughs> he did. He did. He did call them all white slavers. Yes. Um, but it, in his exception speech, he was like talking about Jar Jar Binks and how he, well because he he goes through this whole thing about how he like he grew up loving Disney. It was like his favorite thing, and he's like people don't realize like I based Jar Jar Binks on Goofy. Like oh. that was where. That was his idea. That was his like, thing. Well, the sequence coming up is the most goofy he is in yeah, the entire. Yeah, totally. And once you know that, you're like, well, oh, a, you yeah. can forgive it a little bit. I, it's, yeah, it's, he's goofy. But I just you wish know? that most, like any of those in- interactions throughout the film, were actually pertinent, and st- rather than cutting away from the story to show you this silly moment. Yeah. Like having, I like when his goofiness is affecting things. Right. Instead of it just, just like, oh, we're just going to cut to the shot of him getting farted on by this horse. Or getting like, electrocuted. Like, or yeah. Like, you know. That, uh, the Disney thing, it's it's uh, Disney Legends. Yes, that's it. Yeah, and the, the first Legends, one was yeah. in 1987, Fred McMurray. Okay. Hmm. Um, yeah, I also think, like, I mean, the big thing, again, with Jar Jar, is I think, like, if they just affected his voice less and just made him be able to understand what he's saying more i think he would have come across a lot better absolutely but you know 
he just is too much. He's he's well, too far. Especially because the rest of the Gungans are not nearly as bad. Yeah, yeah. What's wrong with this? Well, one? what's funny is like all the other Gungans hate him. They're just yeah. like you know, no God, not you. So they're us. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually one of the things that made me sort of start to come around to Jar Jar is the Clone Wars cartoon show because there are certain episodes where Jar Jar pops up rarely, but whenever he does, it's funny because like all the other characters kind of there's a moment where like they kind of look at each other like, oh god, we're in a Jar Jar episode, like, <laughs> all right, so they're they're all on like our side, so there it's sort of like a part of the the thing of it is like, okay, yeah, we we're acknowledging that Jar Jar is like this annoying presence and. He kind of becomes endearing when you paint him in that light. A bit more in the show. Yeah, yeah. more in the show. Yeah. I mean, if if there's somebody who like everybody hates, eventually you do start to be like, well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> maybe not like Hitler, is it ba- is but it like, yeah. Well, maybe you start to become cool. Yeah, yeah, because you're just like you know. He's so bad. Yeah, he's so bad. He's so bad. He's actually good. Well, I actually For remember sure. when this movie came out. A lot of my peers at the time, who I mean, 1999, I was what like 11, 11 yeah. years old. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my peers who did not grow up with Star Wars, you know, and like because uh, I, I hung out with mostly kids who were more into the sports and that kind of thing. I remember them going to see the movie because their parents are like, "Oh, this is a big deal." And every single person was like, Jar Jar Binks! Yeah. Like, my age group. The age group that it was actually intended for. Yeah, for sure. I mean, All about it. All that's, about it. That's one of the things that, like, George Lucas has said since the beginning is, like, he doesn't understand. He's like, I made Star Wars for kids. Like, going back to the, the first movie, like, he was like, I wanted to tell a story that would be, like, good for children to, to watch. Like, it's all this family drama about, like dealing with you know the 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 sins of like your parents or like the sins of your of this older generation and forging your own path and doing all this kinds of stuff and uh he was like i just i wanted to do things that i thought kids would really like it just so happened uh, to revolutionize cinema yeah and then like cut to 1989 you have a legion of now grown adults who hold it like a religion precisely and the kids he was aiming now he's like i'm gonna make another kids movie and they're like well this isn't for me like what the what the fuck like how dare you george lucas when it's like you know this is for the new generation it's actually of kids. incredibly innovative when you look at it as a children's film and oh my god yeah, that's the thing is like there is no other movie like this at all like right. it, the way that it looks i mean and just the and and you know this is a completely independent production you know it was uh made by it was distributed by 20th century fox but it was made entirely by lucasfilm um so he's not answering to anybody. This is his, you know, vision for better or for worse, you know. I mean... So the two big independent films that came out in this year were The Phantom Menace and The Blair Witch Project. That's right. And it's, you know... It, I, I, I like how it really kind of, like, harkens back to the thing that was always an influence on Star Wars, which is that, like, Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon, um, uh, you know, pulpy sci-fi from the 40s this movie really leans into that and i and i dig the the vibe of it where it's like this new version of that i definitely agree um whereas i can understand though a lot of fans who are hardcore into the original trilogy looking at it and being like these ships don't look like they came from that used universe you know like this doesn't look anything or like that but um the way that this expands the world of star wars and expands the mythology of it um I think overall it's uh, it's successful. 
as, as far as that criticism goes, I mean, we're also on, like, new, like, different worlds. Yes. And, like, yeah, we go to Tatooine also, but, like, Naboo and... Um, Coruscant. Yeah. Right. And, All the and other it, words I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah, also, like, we're, we're at a time... As, Distraught, you know? Yeah, and we're at a, we're at a time before the Empire too, so it's like we're showing these places that like feel like this is like the grand old Republic, you know. This is like when things were were all really great before the dark times, before the Empire, before everything went to shit, and like you know, that's where you get you know everything's out of date, everything's old, everything's falling apart, everything's oppressed and dark and dingy. So I think in that way, like it, it makes sense thematically. I really do not like the battle droids. I really don't. Every time they're on screen, they bother me. I think they. I, I think the battle droids are the best in this movie. Um, I think like I don't like the way they're like lowered down. Or I think we're about to see that right now, right? Where they're the dangling droids. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. See, I I like this is probably my favorite thing that the battle droids do. It makes yeah. them seem less. What I uh, like about it's like foosball. I don't know if you, a human couldn't get in them. If, if, you know, I just feel like they're they're built to be these really uh, disposable police force, which I think is wonderful to use droids for that. Yeah. But they they take on, and I've mentioned this before, like they they almost have too much personality for me to be frightened by them. You know, I just find them to be, and not that you should be, not that like you want people to be scared of it, but mm -hmm. like. This army of robots they're is not very, actually very intimidating. It's such a scary concept. Yeah, especially when like they're all just like marching, you know, just like imagine if they didn't forward. have voices like that. Like uh, yeah, if they, you're looking at if they didn't the have droids the voices, from yeah. me, and not to just keep bringing it back to the original trilogy, but a lot of those droids are really just making like beeping and like rawr, rawr, rawr. like imagine yeah. if they had gonk droid voices the whole time. I they would be way scarier. They'd for be sure. way scarier, and you'd still understand what they were saying to each other. Yeah, yeah. You know? Gonk droids. Yeah, there's a gonk droid uh, in, in the original uh, in the original Star Wars. He's on the yeah, well, he's on the Jawa sand crawler. He's gonk droid. But he says gonk. Star Wars, gonk. Okay. Say that gonk. A children's movie. They didn't shy away from that. Um, yeah, but look at like what you could show in like Who Framed Roger Rabbit to like what you could show on TV today. That's true. Yeah. I Who still haven't Ra seen Sofia Coppola. I mean, yeah, I'm sure I have. I don't. Yeah, I don't know where exactly she is, but um. Here's where they're all splitting up into their different yeah, adventures. And the, okay, cue Duel of the Fates. Which, I fucking here love comes Darth Maul. Darth Maul, this, Darth Maul hands down, this is, yeah, this is fucking great. Yeah. And, I mean, let me tell you, those seven times I went to see this movie in the theater, probably half of those were just me twiddling my thumbs waiting, waiting for this for moment. This moment. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> because I'm just like, I just gotta see that again, man. It's yeah, like, it's so it was good. like... Freaking really crack for like a Star Wars fan. It was just like, oh my god! Like this is yeah. the coolest well, it's thing the ever. The first time you see a Jedi do anything like that. Like, oh yeah. Or sensitive person do. Like you get in Return of the Jedi, Luke does like some. This this is the moment right here. Oh shit! Two lights, double sided lightsaber. Yeah, it's so good, dude. So fucking this rad. He's is he is so, so scary, scary and like so cool. devilish. And then you're Ray just Park's seeing this shit. It. I I kind of hate that they overdubbed Ray Park's voice. Instead of just telling him to like sound more intimidating. Yeah, it's like it's one of those things that like once you know it, you kind of notice it a little too much. Do you right. know who is the voice actor? I don't know the voice actor. Uh, okay. Well, there's a little piece of trivia that because I, I went back and I was reading like a lot of reviews from like May '99 because I wanted to see like well, what were people thinking of at the time? They're mostly mixed to negative, um, and one of them 
was saying like it's a good thing they got somebody else to do the voice because Ray Parks' voice like I don't know he's him got from like anything. a bit of like a like a, an accent he's like I got like a Cockney accent kind of thing I think oh, okay because they compared him to so like, uh, at last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi yeah, but like, if you give him <laughs> at last we will have I'm revenge because sure he, like, <laughs> he has two lines <laughs> yeah. come on they were comparing him to Jet Li because I guess Jet Li had been in a movie at that point where they had dubbed him and it was like oh that's good because his actual voice I guess isn't mm-hmm. very intimidated it's cool yeah. like, I mean I guess it's the whole James Earl Jones Darth Vader thing like it's fine to overdub a voice if it's appropriate yeah I never it never bothered me until no. you know it and then you kind of pick up on it but it's more just like well why not just use the actor who's there like Darth Vader at least you have an excuse he's covered in a mask and at least yeah, in this, like I mean, there's still makeup. It's not like uh, Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, where Andy McDowell was dubbed by Glenn Close. Yeah, that's Just because, well, they filmed the whole movie, and then we're like, oh, you know what? We do not like Andy McDowell. I did not know <laughs> like, that. They were like, we do not think she can act. And they were just like, let's get Glenn Close. I haven't seen that movie, and I like Andy McDowell, so whatever. Anyway. <laughs> you know what? what's an interesting thing? And I found this out a, 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 not too long ago. But apparently, Sorry. in one of the original versions of the script, the, the Liam Neeson character in this movie, who is called Qui-Gon Jinn, in some early version of the script, he was called Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Ewan McGregor's Padawan character was called Qui-Gon Jinn. Oh, that's interesting. And when Obi-Wan Kenobi is killed at the end by Darth Maul, Qui-Gon takes his name as Obi-Wan, which is very that. is a very strange thing of, like, right. why would you do that? But I think it goes back to this notion of, like, this duality that's playing, where it's like, you've got this queen and her decoy, these, these two different versions of them. You've got this, like, Obi-Wan and his master, but they're, like, you know, kind of the... These I mean, two that, different that versions plays of them. In more to the original as well. Like, oh, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah, so I mean, if you think about it like that, where it's like, yeah, when when Luke says, "Oh, I'm looking for an Obi Wan Kenobi," and he's like, "Obi Wan Kenobi." Now that's a name I haven't heard in a long time because it like it conjures up it all these change, feelings of the his master and like, right. yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I um, kind of love that though. Like, but that's that's the thing. Like, you hear like Darth is a title. Like, uh, yeah, when, the, when the original film comes out, it's just the name of a character. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, well, we've got Darth Vader, we got Darth Maul, we got Darth Sidious, we got Darth... Yeah, we got, Dar- <laughs> we got Darth... It's Maul. a Darth Bargain blowout. We have a Darth, <laughs> Darth Bargain blowout. It's um, Earth, but one letter difference. That's interesting. It's a Darth. Yeah, you, know, you yeah, gotta yeah. add the D. I, I, I always associate it with Darth, the sufferer of knowledge and the cobbler's tree of life, which is interesting. You know, there's... I don't... There's a very strange thing with the name of Darth Vader, and it's if this doesn't prove that there is some sort of like fate, then I don't know what is. But like, there, when George Lucas first made the original Star Wars, he just took he he came up with the name Darth Vader as a play on what I believe is like death, and then Invader, and in much in the same way that all these Sith names are like you know Sidious, which is like Insidious oh, yeah. or like Grievous or. Tyrannus or whatever. Maul all... is going to Maul, Maul you. Yeah. So like Vader oh, I was, was like I think M-A-L-L. Invader. Um, so it was just Darth Vader. It turns out in in Dutch, that literally translates to Dark Father. And this was before he had planned him to be Luke Skywalker's father at all. That didn't come into play until he was writing the scripts for Empire Strikes Back, and 
it wasn't even in like the initial drafts of, uh, of of Empire Strikes Back. It wasn't until a little on later down that production that he was kind of like, oh, Darth Vader is actually Anakin Skywalker, mm-hmm. and but then in retrospect, you're like, oh no, he must have known from the beginning because he he's literally named Dark, Dark Father. Father. Yeah. It's like what? Like that's just kind of like very strange. Um, Although Death Invader is a great name. Death Invader, <laughs> like, a band, yeah. Death yeah. Invader, you know, that's a good, that's a good band name. Um, but yeah, it is one of those things that you take for granted now. But like at the time, going to see, yeah, like this movie where it's like, oh, there's this character Darth Maul, and realizing like, oh, Darth is a title, not just like right. a name. It's just one of those weird little well, things that well, at that's the time. What I'm thinking you... like, oh, like the Obi Wan could be a title instead of a name because his name's Ben Kenobi, but maybe he's yeah. Well, you know, Darth Kenobi or Obi Wan Kenobi with Obi Wan. There was this theory Whatever that back during the original trilogy that fans were thinking about because there was this whole note where in the original movie he talks about the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. and people were like thinking that Obi Wan's name that he is actually a clone and that it's O B one, Ken, O B like it was like right. a it was like a you know serial number that yeah. he was literally like you know like a labeled you know and that his name was just Obi Wan Kenobi that he was like some. Leftover clone from the well, Clone that, Wars. That actually ties into like, uh, in a weird way, ties into Force Awakens with uh, Finn. FN. Yeah, yeah, FN two one eight seven and Finn. So it kind of comes comes around. Yeah. I really love the. Um, Alright, so when Obi Wan, Ki- crap, Ki Gong, Qui Gon, Qui Gon. Alright, so Qui Gon and Darth Maul. They're all separated by the Force fields. Yeah. And then, uh, like, Liam Neeson just kind of, like, basically just meditates. Yeah. And then Darth Maul, he's, like, freaking out. He's, like, pacing around like a caged-in, you know, tiger. And it's, like, okay, the... I mean, like, yes, Liam Neeson technically loses this battle, but Darth Maul is definitely going to lose, because he's just, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's... Like, he's not just, like... Yeah, and, like, he, like, hits against the force field with his uh, lightsaber and everything. Yeah. He's bloodthirsty. And also, there's like very, it's like it's very quiet in that moment, in the middle of all this. I'm enjoying it a lot. Though. Yeah, if you kind of like think of Jar Jar's antics as as goofy, it's uh, it does for some reason it does play a little better. I don't know why, because it, it paints it in a more classic kind of uh, way. There should be a goofy fan edit. The goofy cut. <laughs> that sounds so good to me. <laughs> Gorge. Gorge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's all Disney. Yeah. So this also uh, harkens back to the uh, the trench run, obviously. Uh, young Anakin uh, flying into this place. Hey, cat. Oh, we got a cat uh, sniffing around these microphones. <laughs> um, Not a feline, just a random fan of jazz music. It's just watered <laughs> in. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. What's what's also funny is I I heard this uh, this this whole thing about like oh Obi Wan was going to take the name of his master. I just heard about this like maybe within the last year, but for the longest time I thought a cool thing that they could have done here is through the whole movie. What if like uh, Qui Gon had the blue blade and Obi Wan had the green blade, and then. Because what happens here in the end is that Obi-Wan, uh, well, Qui-Gon is killed, 
and then Obi-Wan fights Darth Maul and then loses his lightsaber down the pit. And then he uses the Force to grab Qui-Gon's lightsaber and then cut him down. And I always thought that it would be cool if uh, that's the lightsaber that he carries with him for the remainder of the saga, that it's like it's Qui-Gon's blade. Um, that's not how it played out, though. Oh, got another. Yeah, we got this cat running around all over the place. <laughs> One great thing about the, the the name switch there would have been, like, going into the movie, you know, if you're familiar with D.O.T., like, you're like, oh, okay, well, that's Obi-Wan, so clearly, you know, he's going to survive this. And then you yeah. see him. Yeah. And that would have been a great moment where you're like, no, what? And then they're like, they explain it afterwards, like, oh, I'll take that name now. This, I mean, I feel like but it, fans would have been pissed. They're like, hey, they tricked us. But yeah, because it, it would be I, kind I, of a... a cool it, I yeah, would have Would it be a <laughs> cheap trick or would it be... If, if it played thematically somehow that made sense within I, the, the subsequent movies, I think it would have it could have been good. But. The people who would go to conventions and yell at Jake Lloyd, those people would have been pissed off. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, there really is no way to satisfy everybody's expectations for this movie. I mean, when you grow up, literally dreaming about like oh what are the clone wars and like what was anakin like before he became darth vader and like who what was obi-wan like and you create all these stories in your mind yeah and like i played with the toys more than i watched the movies when i was a kid so like i already had my own idea of what the original ones were before i watched them because <laughs> yeah, like you just make it up and then yeah i'm like i don't know who the hell these are and like i this is this is the best bit of lightsaber fighting in the whole prequel trilogy, and probably this is the probably best. The this best choreography so in the whole far. series, right yeah, here. Yeah, I agree. Ewan McGregor is just fucking killing it. I mean, Ray Parks. This is what he does. Yeah. Now, as a um, a British actor, should we assume that Ewan McGregor like took a lot of fencing in his training to begin with, or was this something he worked on for this? Role? I I mean, he real like if you watch a lot of the special features of the whole prequel trilogy, I mean, you see a lot of him just like you know, working that just lightsaber, rigorous, just like, yeah, yeah like training that. over and over again to get all these moves down. He's doing it specifically for this role. But like, he really reveled in it. Like he loved doing it. So, you know, I mean, and it comes across like, you know, when he's going to town, you're just, you, you feel like he's, you know, really, uh, it's really exciting. Yeah. See, so now he loses his, uh, his blue blade there. So I, yeah, I always wondered like, why not, why not just swap those blades? But then maybe that would telegraph like, Oh, well, you know, something's going to happen. But what's funny with that is, like, when the movie came out, like, it came out in May, and I think maybe, like, a month or two months before the movie came out, they released the soundtrack first. As you often do. You release the novelization, you release the soundtrack. Yeah. But a lot of the people, you know, wanting to avoid spoilers, you avoid the, the novelization, obviously. But you think maybe the soundtrack, well, that's not too much of a spoiler. I want to get acquainted with the music. People buying the soundtrack were surprised when you flip it over and you read the track listing and one of the tracks is Qui-Gon's Demise <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you say uh, oh okay I guess he's gonna die more and more these days too not just in soundtracks but in so many different products you know especially with all like the comic book movies coming out yeah well it's kind of like flipped around where it's like now they're with the internet it's like so many leaks come out but it's there's stuff that wasn't supposed to be revealed yet, you know, or like, oh, yeah. this is a product that's going to come out after the movie, and so it's showing you something that, you know, 
But it, it always is weird that it's like, why release all this stuff before, like, months before the movie even comes out? At the same out? time, just... we were buying action figures for this movie months before it came out. Oh, yeah. Because the... you're excited about it. Yeah, I think all the action figures came out in, like, April or whatever. And, uh, I mean, I remember walking into KB Toys. I already knew who all the characters were. And oh, it was KB like, Toys. Yeah, walking into KB Toys in the Aviation Mall and seeing they, they just got that whole first shipment in and just being like, they had like hundreds of these fucking action figures and just being like, oh my God, like, who's this guy? Who's that guy? Oh my gosh. Right. And like, I remember waiting in line to buy tickets for this film and there was a kid who was younger than us at the time in front of us with his family and he had a Star Wars encyclopedia book and he knew more about the characters in this film than we did, which yeah. I remember being so surprised by. Well, I, rem- I remember, um, Darth Maul is amazing. We were death right here. Yeah, we were doing, um, as is tradition for a Star Wars film, somebody has to lose a limb. In this case, Darth Maul loses both his legs. Um, One of the reviews I read from 99 was like, Darth Maul's too cool of a character not to see again, so we're sure he'll be back, (laughs) just probably a little shorter. Oh, of course. But uh, he doesn't come back, I'm assuming. Not in the films. He winds up coming back in that Clone Wars cartoon show that I was talking about. Ah. Um, yeah, the, uh, the, the the general grievous in episode three. It would have made sense to just be like, because he, he oh here comes this dude. He's all like in this yeah this that. metal armor and stuff. If it was just like oh shit, that's Darth Maul come back, you know. Now this can this confused me when we watched it the other day, where uh, Liam Neeson dies and he doesn't disappear. Right. And you said that they explained that in the in the, in the, the sequel prequels. Film. Yeah, in the sequel prequels. <laughs> uh, yeah, because that was one of those things like that sort of confused me upon yeah. first viewing is that it's like, oh, well, we all know that like when a Jedi dies, they're supposed to disappear. Yeah, I was like, oh, Obi-Wan he wasn't a Jedi at all. He was just Yoda this guy. <laughs> but it's revealed in uh, in episode two, we see Yoda communing uh, with, we hear Qui-Gon's voice while Yoda is meditating. And then in episode three, he explains to Obi-Wan that he's been in contact with Qui-Gon from beyond the grave and that like he can train Obi-Wan to basically learn that power to uh, become one with the force when he dies mm. so that's so Qui-Gon is the first one to be able to actually do it but we don't actually see him fade away but because uh, he wasn't as you know he didn't have the full technique down apparently we're, we're coming up to the ending what's funny we're... back in the background there's a there's a character uh, who was supposed to be Mace Windu but it's not Samuel L. Jackson it's just some other random bald black dude and it's like fake Mace is what he's called or is it... referred to as like like Samuel L. Jackson wasn't available that day. I think or? yeah, there. I think it was probably one one of the reshoots or you know sort of down in the in the production, and they're like, oh, we don't have Samuel L. Jackson. We'll just put this other body double back there. But you can see him clear as day, and it's just not Samuel L. Jackson. It's weird. Oh. Yeah, we just we just we just went by. The only part of the CG Yoda I love are the tips of his ears. Yeah, it's cool how uh, how the, the light kind of comes through the ears, and um, you can see the the little blood uh, vessels in there. There's a little in some of the special features of Episode Two. There's a part where the person, the animator of Yoda, turns to George Lucas and is like, "Is Yoda's blood red or green?" Because they were animating that the light going through the ears, and they needed to know like what's it, what does it look like, and they decided on red, obviously. So I should uh, I should watch Attack of the Clones. You I'm should. So sorry. You should. I mean, it is my least favorite Star Wars film. 
But it'll answer some questions. But I mean, it is the continuing <laughs> of the whole story, and it's a, and it's a it is an essential part of the, of the saga. I actually love this moment. Sorry. The burning of Qui Gon's body. Yeah, the uh, this is Qui Gon's funeral scene here. Track fourteen on the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> some merit to that concept that Qui-Gon is necessarily not necessarily a Jedi in the respect of like the Jedi Council well yeah well like I was just saying Qui-Gon was the first Jedi to actually transcend the into the force after death questioning yeah exactly because he was the only yeah he was the only one who was like actually do you know using the force and in acting in the way that a Jedi should act? I and mean, he was using it to gamble earlier. <laughs> he do, you do see him sort of screw over Watto yeah, and stuff, totally. <laughs> but for his own for his own benefit. Yeah, he buys a couple slaves. Yeah, he does buy. And then he buys. Yeah, he buys some <laughs> slaves. He... Cool thing about this uh, end sequence here with this parade, this music that's playing. There is uh, there we've got this big celebration as is often the case with end of star wars movies there's often you know big celebration happens at this the end one's of... a little more mardi gras whereas the first one is a little more triumph of the will yeah and then return of the jedi is more i don't know party in the woods with the ewoks yeah but um <laughs> this this me- the song that's playing the melody that the, the the children's voice choir is singing is literally the melody of emperor palpatine's theme from return of the jedi it's the uh Da, na, 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 na. The the children's voice choir is literally singing that melody in this moment what? because what's happening? Yeah, so the children are like la 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 la, and it's and That's it's because awesome. this whole victory here that everybody's celebrating it's not a victory for Naboo it's a victory yeah. for Palpatine because now he's Chancellor he got Qui Gon out of the way who was the only one who could now pay attention it. to him. And look at his fucking shit-eating grin at the end here. The, the, the last shot of the movie, there he is back there, all smiling away behind Boss Nass, because he's the real victor in this. Yeah, he's the crazy. Phantom Menace. He's the one who... I didn't realize that they were singing... It was a parade just for him. That's I liked amazing. all the close-ups at the end there. Everybody looking at each other and stuff. I, I and like uh, But like when we finished watching it that first time, I thought I'd missed something. Because they've got that, you know, Glinda the Good Witch ball there. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wait, what was... Now, they were trying to get that orb in the movie? Like, was that the goal of the movie? I didn't know what... I thought, like, guys, we won! Yeah, we yeah, have the orb! The whole, ga- the whole movie was a game of Capture the Flag, essentially. Because like, like, it ends with that thing, and it's like, we have this orb, we win. Yeah. And then you were like, no, that's just, that's just a thing. This that's is a ceremonial They just orb. chose that to be at the center of the final shot. And it's <laughs> doubly confusing because we see the Gungans use using these orbs as essentially bombs right. before so it's like and it looks a, a little similar to that so it's like what yeah i don't i don't know why they chose the orb it's i think it's just more of a peace offering between you know the naboo people and the gungans but so yeah that right there is uh phantom menace i enjoyed so it more palpatine the phantom talking menace? about palpatine it. is the phantom the menace because he's the one behind the curtain you know yeah, exactly. pulling all pulling the strings the the one that you can't see, you know. When I was growing up, I always thought it was Darth Maul for some reason. Well, it makes sense because, you know, when you're a kid and you're just like, he, well, he's the menace, clearly. Yeah. And he's, you know, acting, you know, he's in the shadows. <laughs> he looks like a, like a phantom. phantom. <laughs> but that's the thing is that it's, you know, he shows up and it seems like he's in the menace. And Qui-Gon's like, I think he's a Sith. And, you know, the Jedi are like, 
all the Sith have been extinct for a millennium. It can't be a Sith. Right. Blah blah blah. Because, but he's like, dude, something, something's up here. The Phantom Menace is one of my favorite titles in the entire series. Yeah, it's a cool name for sure. It's very pulp, like you were saying before. It's like, oh, you know, Buck Rogers and the Phantom Menace. Like, yeah, it, it works so well. Like, uh, Attack of the Clones is by far my least favorite title. Yeah, even though it's doing that sort of like. Uh, you know, Saturday matinee kind of, you know, monster movie thing. There's no thing. mystery to it. But every, it's every just... Every title has a and it's, bit of mystery. it's also weird because it's like the clones don't really, like, attack. I mean, I guess they do when they come to but they, save the Jedi, but it's... But they're like the good guys in the movie. Yeah, so it's extent. very strange that, I don't know, it is kind of weird. Um, but anyway, so... I'm excited because tomorrow I'm going yeah, to see Me too. a brand new fucking Star Wars movie with yeah Luke and Alicia over there. We're going to see it. Got my tickets months in advance. And, I couldn't uh, be more excited. It's I, I haven't really been thinking about it too much, um, but now it's starting to become a reality that it's like oh it's actually happening like tomorrow. Um, when is the last time you watched The Force Awakens? Um. Are you going to be watching that tomorrow before you go? No, I, I, I watched Force Awakens, I think, sometime this year. It was probably back in, like, over the summer or something. I think I put it in one day. So I, I, I got to try to watch that again. Like a month ago. Oh, there you and go. I fell asleep to Rogue One, like, more recently. <laughs> Adam Scott fell asleep during Rogue One in theaters. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. He uh, fell asleep for a few minutes watching uh, the third Triple X movie. The only film I've ever fallen asleep in the theater watching was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yep, I fell asleep too. There was a whole middle section where it was <laughs> like a flat. Yeah, we went to go see it together. Did we and both fall asleep. We both fell asleep. It was like there's this whole middle section where it's like a flashback and this has to do with this ivory comb or something. And I just remember being like, ugh. And then I woke well, up I think, and the whole sequence was over and they were back we were to like sword fighting. awake all night or something. We were. Yeah, we were doing something that and then day. We were like, oh, we'll yeah. go see this movie that everyone's talking about. And we, I remember we were sitting. In like the front row, or like we were super close to the screen. It was at the Route Nine Cinemas too, I think. It was. Oh, yes. I missed those. I went to see Frida with Nate, and I missed maybe five minutes of that. I just conked out at one point. <laughs> well, it's not even that Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon is necessarily a boring film. That might be. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it since then. <laughs> I found it boring, um, but I think I was like in the wrong state of mind for it i don't know to revisit it at some point everybody else seems to love it yeah except for you guys no. <laughs> well, i don't know <laughs> any uh any final thoughts on phantom menace tim um i guess i mean if, if you if you try watching it once and you don't really love it uh watch it again with the sound down talking to someone through it because i enjoyed it very much this time <laughs> Well, I think, like I was saying before, I mean, I think just on a visual level, it's very yeah. nice to look at. I think it's a very beautiful film. Yeah. I think it's the most beautiful looking of the prequel trilogy. I would also, uh, if I revisit this film, um, kind of throw on those subtitles. Cause, yeah. Because a lot of it was just like, who, what, where are they going? Like, mm -hmm. I, and, um. Was that it? catering manager, Tim Death. Holy crap. Whoa, what, where? The, the credit just went by. It said catering manager Tim Death. Only there was an apostrophe in between the E and the A. 
So it was like Tim DeAth. I'm not eating that food. No. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, that's really weird. Knowledge. Now there's something at the end here that you wanted me to pay attention to when we were oh, watching. Oh, yeah, it's just a little Easter egg at the end of the at the end of the credits. Back in 1999, watching in the theater, it was a big deal. But yeah, you hear Darth Vader's breathing at the end of the credits. Because you got really excited about it, like Tim, listen to this, and I'm like, what? And then it happened. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> And I do like at the end of the movie they do have experience any condition that detracted from the theatrical presentation of this film. Please call one eight hundred phone thx. Like you they, just imagine like you know you're at the uh, aviation mall and you're like this was terrible and then you call them and then like the thx police show up to the mall and they're like yeah we got a call about a disturbance in the theater not good video presentation. <laughs> George Lucas just shows up and kicks yeah. ass. <laughs> yeah. You also seemed impressed by all this nonsense happening. No, I was, I was just confused by it, because like... well, I was like, whoa, what is this? Because I, but yeah, it's just the random THX uh, animation. So anyway, what are we talking about <sighs> next week? Next week is uh, Christmas. It's going to be Christmas next for the next Christmas. episode. Yeah. Um... It's gonna be is next episode gonna be dropping on Christmas as a as a gift to all our listeners. Oh, such a gift! <laughs> this uh, so Phantom Menace. Would you say that this is the start of like sort of like the the situation we've been in in recent years in movies where it's like these big like series of films. Like you got all these Star Wars movies and like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and the whole Marvel universe, mm-hmm. and like everything. Like, and it seems like such a new thing. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> I mean that's that's just been like, um, you know, a trait of of Hollywood, going back like forever that there would be like these films with like, uh, like where where you follow like characters through different adventures and stuff. Yeah, but uh, they weren't necessarily referred to as sequels. Until fairly recently, well, not fairly recently. Actually, the past like fifty or sixty years. <laughs> but they were just like, oh, here's another entry in a series, and you know, you'd have like your Andy Hardy movies and your Tarzan movies, where you could just sort of jump in at any one of them. You didn't have to watch each film to understand what was going on. And uh, one of the big ones was the the Thin Man series, over at MGM, Metro Goldwyn Mayer, and uh, that started off with. Uh, a 1934 film directed by W.S. Van Dyke called The Thin Man. Yeah, I've, I've always heard about The Thin Man movies. I've seen, like, posters around and stuff like that, but I've never seen any of the movies. Yeah, a theater you used to work at used them to advertise a film that had nothing to do with them, which annoyed me and some of my friends who thought you guys were going to be showing The Thin Man. But it was just, like, Dirty Dancing or some bullshit. Yeah, so... <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're gonna watch uh, the the first film in the series, right? Just the Thin Man. Yeah. All right. So that and uh, that'll be dropping on or around Christmas, like no guarantees here. Yeah. I'm starting we'll, a new we'll job. We'll try our so best. I, so, um, yeah. I don't know <laughs> what kind of schedule I'm gonna have to be. We don't want any these. angry emails from you guys if if you have to wait <laughs> till Boxing Day. Right. Um, but then after that, hopefully we'll be back to actually talk about the Last Jedi. I'm going to see it tomorrow, but then maybe when, when you finally get around to, to seeing it, I'll have probably seen it, like, two or three more times in the yeah. theater. I mean, I'll, I'm going to see it sometime this month. And, uh, yeah, I want to come back and talk about that, because I'm sure I'm going to have a lot to say. So, 
stay tuned for that. Yeah, and maybe a little uh, year-end wrap-up. Yeah, because we're closing down 2017 here. Where did the time go? <sighs> All right, but I think that wraps it up for tonight. So thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we will see you next time.